hope you enjoyed the uh, weather presentation we had earlier today with all the hail and uh, rain and everything in between. I'm glad everybody is here, safe and sound. Um, wanted to call this meeting to order. Madam Secretary, please uh, call the roll. President Ajami? Here. Vice President Maxwell? Here. Commissioner Paulson? Here. Commissioner Rivera? Here. Commissioner Stacey? Here. And you have a quorum. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and given the public, he public health recommendations issued by the San Francisco Department of Pub Public Health and the emergency orders of the governor and the mayor concerning social distancing and lifting the restrictions on teleconference, this meeting is being held via teleconference and is being televised by SFGTV. For those of you watching the live stream, please be aware that there is a brief time lag between the live meeting and what is being viewed on SFGTV. On behalf of the commission, I would like to extend our thanks to SFGTV staff and SFPUC IT staff for their assistance during this meeting. If you wish to make public comment on an item, dial 1-415-655-0001, meeting ID 2496-495-7376, pound pound. To raise your hand to speak, press star three. Please note that you must limit your comment to the topic of the agenda item being discussed, unless you are speaking under general public comment, and remind you if you do not stay on the topic, the chair can interrupt and ask you to limit your comment to the agenda item. We ask that public comment be made in a civil and respectful manner and that you refrain from the use of profanity. Please address your remarks to the commission as a whole, not to individual commissioners or staff. If you've not already done so, please silence your electronic devices. Thank you. Before I call the next, the first item, I would like to announce that San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the la unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of the Muakma Ohlone tribe and other familial descendants of the historically, historic federally recognized Mission San Jose Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFUC also recognizes that every citizen residing within the Great Bay Area, Greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Moakma Ohlone tribes of Aboriginal lands since before and after the San Francisco Public Utility Commission's founding in 1932. It is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal lands on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Moakma Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and are productive and flourishing members within the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. Madam Secretary, please read the first item. First item is item number three, adopt renewed findings under state urgency legislation to allow hybrid in-person meetings during the COVID-19 emergency and direct the commission secretary to agendize a similar resolution at a commission meeting within the next 30 days. Could you please open public comment? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number three, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item three? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised for item number three? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item three is closed. Colleagues, can I have a motion and second on item three? Move to approve. Second. Uh, Madam Secretary, please um, roll, call the roll. President Jami? Yes. Vice President Maxwell? Yes. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Thank you. Item passes. Uh, could you please call the next item? 
Next item is item number four, approval of the minutes of December 13th, 2022. Colleagues, any comments, any questions? Can we have the public comment, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number four, the minutes of December 13th, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on the minutes? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Callers, this is on the minutes. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item three. Well, hi, I'm Dave Warner from Palo Alto. Here are some requested changes to the minutes for item nine, rules of order. Uh, first, under rule 16, please add that public comment was moved to later in the meeting. Moving public comment was a substantive change, at least to the public, and if it wasn't a substantive change to the commission, then please move public comment back to where it was. Uh, second, prior to public comment, please add that President Ajami asked for questions and discussion and that there was none other than Commissioner Stacy thanking everyone for their work. Please also add that only 10 minutes was spent on this agenda item, which included two public comments. This is an important addition to the minutes, as following Commissioner Stacy's comment, President Jami said, and I quote, Ms. Beckman spent many, many hours helping listen to everybody, having conversations to make sure we consider everybody's concerns and questions. The way this item was handled was likely a Brown Act issue. As you know, the Brown Act requires that local government business be conducted at open and public meetings and is based on California state policy that people must be informed so that they can keep control over their government. Note that the Brown Act states that serial meetings are a violation if an individual makes a series of contacts with multiple members of a legislative body and serves as an intermediary. President Ajami's statement makes it sound like this occurred. While you might argue that the Brown Act wasn't violated, look at the result. There was no stated reason for why public comment was moved to the end of the meeting other than streamlining, which is a vague term that could be interpreted in so many ways. Did commissioners feel strongly about moving public comment? I don't know. So the result is that the public has little understanding for the context of these changes and we are left to our imagination as to why they were made. And of course, it's not good leaving things to our imagination. I hope the minutes will more thoroughly document what happened on this item so that we can, it can be turned into a positive educational experience for all. I'll provide a copy of my comments for the record. Thank you. Thank you, callers. I'd like to remind you that this public comment should be specific to the minutes. Next caller. Next caller, open your line. Eileen Bogan, Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf. I wasn't on the commission call on December 13th when item number nine was heard. Based on the draft minutes, the proposed revision to the commission rules of order for rule number 16 was based on the desire to optimize the use of staff time. Uh, staff is paid while some members of the public are volunteers. This seems to reconfirm the perception that the PC's most important customer is itself. Although it's a common practice to place general public comment at the end of the agenda at the full board of supervisors, that's because most items on the full board agenda have been heard in committee with public comment being taken there. Uh, the PC has no committees. The uh, most uh, preeminent committee of the city government is the Capital Planning Committee, of which the PC is the voting member. Uh, the general public comment agenda item is always really in the agenda. Uh, this is, is this effort at the PC to make the general public comment more inconvenient as possible. 
is the suitability of the teacher or another instance of bad optics. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item four, the agenda. Minute. Oh, thank you. This is uh, Bob Stanley, and I'm commenting on on uh, number nine, uh, the uh, moving of the public comment section uh, in the meeting to the back of the meeting is a, a bad idea, and it doesn't serve okay. the public well. I'm sorry, so sir. Sorry, I'm, you guys sir. I'm going to stop you. The, Excuse me. Um, so this, if you have any specific comments on the minute, this is President Ajami, we would love to hear that if you need, you see an error or change in the minutes from last meeting. If you have comments on the changes that have been made, please do call back during the public comments, which is scheduled later in the agenda. Um, thank you. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, there are four callers remaining in the queue. Thank you. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item four, approval of the minutes. Caller, are you there? Hello? Yes. Um, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Mary Butterwick, uh, San Francisco resident for over 30 years. Uh, regarding item nine on the December 13th agenda, uh, the commission shouldn't make it harder for the public to participate. And the general public comment um, should be excuse returned. Excuse me, caller. So, um, and anybody else who's waiting on the line to make a comment, on this item. If you have a specific comment, for example, the first caller had a comment about adding more context in the agenda, in the minutes, and we can definitely look into the uh, language from the, from the meeting and add more language to the minutes. But if you do not have a specific comment on the text that's provided about the, on the minutes from that last meeting, please do call back during the public public comment seg segment, and uh, we would love to hear your opinion and your thoughts on this issue, but it needs to be expressed during the public comment segment. Thank you. So anybody else who is on the line, if you can hear me, please do call back during the public comments if you have a specific comment on the change in the order of business. Mr. Moderator, do we have other callers? Um, we have two more callers on the line. Hello, caller. This is uh, yes. Uh, my name. Yeah, my name is John Rosa Pepe. Uh, I don't have the time to hang around. You are. You, your action is is doing to shut off public comment. There is no other reason. Thank you, caller. Um, if you don't have specific comments on the minutes and approval of the minutes. Moving on to the next caller. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment specifically on approval of the minutes. Uh, hi, this is Sydney, can you hear me? Loud and clear. So I'm calling because I was 
I'm concerned that you guys are going to put the public comment period at the end of meetings from now on. And I'm sorry, caller, muted your line. If you have comments specific to changes or additions or corrections to the minutes, um, if you'd like to comment on item nine, call during general public comment. Last caller in the queue. Caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment specifically on approval of the minutes. Hi, thank you. Yeah, this is Lawrence. Um, I uh, didn't know how to take myself off of this, so I will call in during number nine, but I think it's all wrong. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item number three, approval of the minutes is closed. Just before I ask for a motion and second, I will make a general comment, which I will make again before we do the public comment. We made this change because we wanted to prioritize people, members of the public, who would like to make a comment on items that are on the agenda. We, otherwise, we are very interested to hear your comments your perspective, if you want to share something with us, we would like us to work on something, if you would like to bring something to our attention. We are very much interested and open for you to come and, and share your perspective with us. However, we also want to make sure the members of the public who actually need to make comments on items that are on agenda don't end up uh, waiting for a long time before they can make a comment. So that is why we changed the rule of orders. So that's, I'm going to make this comment later again, but I know a few people called, so I wanted to bring this up one more time to make sure this is heard. This was nothing about shutting down public comment or not priori prioritizing public perspective on comment. Please do join us for that. Thank you. Colleagues, any um, comments, questions? Otherwise, I would like a motion and a second. Move to approve. Second. Thank you. Madam Secretary, please uh, call the roll. President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Thank you. Um, next item, please. Next item is item number five, report of the general manager. Thank you, Madam Secretary. The first item is a drought condition update from Steve Ritchie. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. Um, can I have the slides, please? Um, and uh, it does have the title Drought Conditions Update. Uh, we could change that title for today to maybe something <laughs> else uh, because uh, things have obviously changed a lot uh, in the last uh, uh, few weeks. Um, we are seeing uh, you know, very uh, heavy precipitation even today. The New Year's Eve storm itself was a very large event uh, that uh, we experienced. So if we can go to the slides, um, these were slides that were produced on January 3rd. Um, and I will uh, uh, basically uh, try to update them uh, as uh, information has developed since then uh, through our February 9th report and even into this morning's uh, activities already. Uh, for the storage, uh, you can see our reservoir storage there on the Tuolumne system. Uh, I will note that uh, for January or for February 3rd, or January 3rd, excuse me, 
Um, the uh, water bank was at 413,000 acre feet. It is now at 465,000 acre feet and expected to increase uh, storage uh, over time. So uh, we're definitely increasing our storage there. We're releasing actually from Cherry uh, to make sure that there is room for the incoming water from snow melt and precipitation. And that water then is going down into the water bank. So the system is working as intended, uh, particularly with these high flows. Uh, on the local system, uh, you'll note Calaveras Reservoir shows at 80,000 acre feet. Uh, that we thought was a really good number because you know we've completed the dam in 2019 and we have not yet ever filled the reservoir. Uh, well, as of February 9th, uh, the storage was at 92,000 acre feet. Uh, and as of this morning at about 5 a.m., it actually started spilling over the spillway, which is in effect the top of the, top of the reservoir. So the reservoir is actually full now for the first time since uh, we actually completed the new dam. Um, going down to Crystal Springs uh, Reservoir, uh, you'll note that uh, it shows current storage greater than maximum storage. Uh, and the reason for that is that the Maximum storage is actually uh, our storage level we operate to because of endangered species. Uh, but when we get really extreme flows, uh, part of our permit acknowledges that that may happen from time to time. And so uh, you know, our total storage is actually closer to 65,000 acre feet or 68,000 acre feet. So we're definitely uh, on the way beyond uh, that, uh, that level there. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, the endangered species issues uh, have been put on the back burner in dealing with the flood control issues. Um, and that is one of the key things I wanted to point out relative to our reservoir storage and how we're managing it, uh, is that our reservoirs are all water supply reservoirs. They are not designed to be flood control reservoirs, so they, they don't have, we don't have any flood control responsibility. Uh, we do have a responsibility for prudent operations of our reservoirs. Uh, to manage water for water supply and also to make sure we don't contribute to uh, conditions downstream that might cause flooding. So uh, we're very actively managing our reservoirs in that way. Uh, and we are very actively communicating with the communities that are downstream of our local reservoirs. Uh, because basically, though uh, Pillar Cedos is upstream from Half Moon Bay, Lower Crystal Springs is upstream from um, Hillsboro, San Mateo, Burlingame, and Foster City, uh, and Calaveras is upstream from uh, uh, Fremont uh, in particular. So we are cognizant very much of how our operation works with them, and so we're actively communicating with them on how we're doing things. What we are doing is actively releasing during the breaks in the weather uh, in terms of controlled releases from our valves to make sure that water can be evacuated to make room for the additional water that's expected to come in. Uh, we are getting in the case where Pillar Cedos, for example, uh, has been spilling intermittently over the last couple of days. It's kind of going up and down relative to the overtopping point. Uh, and we're in communication with Half Moon Bay about that. And as I said, Calavera started spilling this morning and we're working with not only uh, Zone 7 Water Agency in Alameda County Water District, uh, but also the Department of Water Resources and the Army Corps of Engineers that operate Lake Del Val on a different arm of Alameda Creek. Uh, so a lot of coordination to try to make sure that we are uh, you know, doing what we need to do for water supply, but also doing what we need to do to be, a, frankly, a, a good member of the community. You know, it's our responsibility to operate responsibly where we possibly can. Um, and one other thing about the storage in our reservoirs, uh, with all the inflow, 
Uh, we have had uh, a lot of turbidity in our local reservoirs. We, were, we are going to rely on our local water supply to be filtered, our local water treatment plants, so that we could have the shutdown for the mountain tunnel construction. Uh, turbidity levels, particularly after the New Year's Eve storm, really came up uh, in our reservoirs. And so we've delayed the start of the mountain tunnel shutdown uh, for construction purposes, and hopefully in the next uh, few days or a week or two, we can actually get that back under control and then be able to proceed with the shutdown. Um, this is the uh, map of uh, other California reservoirs. Uh, all the reservoirs are starting to come up more. Uh, so even Shasta and uh, Oroville are coming up uh, substantially above where they have been. Uh, so these numbers are actually lower than where they are right now. So they are continuing to rise. Uh, so that's good for a big chunk of California. On the drought monitor, uh, there's that large kind of brownish area there that's called exceptional drought. Uh, the latest version of that that we uh, saw on January 9th, that brown blob is gone. Uh, and the, uh, you know, the darker colored areas are starting to shriek down, and that's happening throughout the state. Uh, and we do expect more precipitation uh, towards the end of this week uh, and into next week, so uh, I think California will be getting better here. I will make one direct comment because people have been asking me the question, is the drought over? Uh, and my answer is always the same. Talk to you in three weeks. Uh, because we are not out of the woods yet, uh, and there are lots of other considerations out there. Uh, on Hetch Hetchy precipitation, uh, you'll see that we're above uh, the 2022 line, approaching the 1983 line uh, there on the curve. Uh, we actually uh, have reached that 1983 curve. It's important to be at 1983 because that is our wettest year on record. Uh, so at least through this date, uh, we are now equal to the wettest year on record. Um, for uh, precipitation, this is our six station index, not just Hetch Hetchy. You'll see that there is a big peak for December, 17, almost three times the, the, the average uh, for uh, you know, our history in, in the system. Um, this only showed through January 2nd, so there's only 0.36 inches uh, in January. Uh, that number actually now is five inches. Uh, so we've gotten a bunch more rain uh, here up country uh, in, in that time period. Similar story in the Bay Area. Uh, again, 14.26 inches compared to an average of 4.35 for December. Uh, and we actually have 5.2 inches so far for January. Uh, so there, there is a lot of rain uh, that is happening now uh, throughout our system, both up country and down here. Uh, and the same is true of snowpack. Uh, you'll see on the slide for January 3rd uh, that the upcountry snowpack uh, has started to get above the 2017 level. Uh, actually, it's been above the 2017 level for a while, but it's definitely past 2022. Uh, that number has continued to increase so that the red line there representing 2023 is up almost to 100% of typical April 1st median, which is the end of the snow season, but we're, you know, it's, we're still very early in the snow season. Water available to the city. Uh, you can see that uh, because of the December storms and the New Year's Eve storm, uh, it had really peaked up a bit. Water available to the city was just a little bit more than 200,000 acre feet, uh, which is why Water Bank is filling up. Uh, 
and then the January 9th, uh, the week later, uh, it's actually up now to 250,000 acre feet. Uh, so again, uh, all the numbers that I'm going through are just significant increases between uh, January 3rd and January 9th. Uh, in the precipitation forecasts, uh, I always point out these, the, the colorful parts, the, the red and orange and yellow are the extreme precipitations, green and blue are not bad. Uh, this shows for the period January through 3rd through tomorrow, uh, and then tomorrow through uh, January 19th, um, precipitation, extensive precipitation in California. The most updated version showing next week uh, also shows continued precipitation. Uh, so it continues to rain out there. Um, and last but not least, our demands. Uh, you know, I, I was commenting to staff that I guess we need to extend the lower part because we're right at the bottom of the uh, graph here with 133 million gallons per day deliveries uh, during that last period. Clearly, everybody was had turned off their outdoor irrigation. Uh, so. Uh, the, the summary is uh, there's a lot of activity going on. We're trying to manage our reservoir levels uh, to the best of our ability um, and working a lot with the locals on that. Uh, but at the same time, we're really capturing a lot of water and uh, it promises to be a good year, but no guarantees yet because what we saw in 2022 was the start of a good year and then it flattened out for the rest of the year. So we're waiting to see if we get that flattening out. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Ricci. I just want to reiterate what you said, which is one or two storms are not going to solve a three-year drought impact that we have been dealing with. So That's right. people should remember we are still have a lot of ecosystem to recover, a lot of groundwater that needs to be recharged, and a lot of other things that need to happen before we are out of the out of the situation we had. So we welcome the rain, but don't celebrate yet. Uh, so any comments, colleagues? Thank you. Uh, public comment, please. Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 5A, the drought update, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are three callers in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5A. Yeah, hi. Um, so I'm very happy to hear about some of the drought improvements. Um, one of the questions I have is how many more storms do we need in order to be out of the drought? And also, I wanted to suggest, if you aren't already doing already, to help improve the drought, is maybe San Francisco can install more um, rain catchment and rain absorption systems. Um, China is doing what is called sponge cities where the city is like a sponge and there's like a lot of green spaces, green roofs, a lot of rain harvesting systems. And basically, instead of all of the billions of gallons of water flowing down the storm drains carrying all that pollution, it's being stored in the ground or underground or in roofs or in green spaces like to beautify the city. Um, that would be a good way to also um, help the drought and also help maybe future droughts so that they're not as bad. Because we can collect and store rainwater and use it in the drier months. Thank you for your comments. I 
Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5A. Thank you. Good afternoon. This is Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director for the Tuolumne River Trust. Uh, so you saw on January 3rd, full system storage was 1,159,000 acre feet. At your last meeting, we had a report from December 5th, and it was at 933,000 acre feet. So in that one month, we added 226,000 acre feet to storage. Last year, demand was 182 million gallons per day, and demand's been under 200 million gallons per day for the past eight years. 200 million gallons per day is 224,000 acre feet. So in that one month, SFPC captured enough water to last a whole year. And there is currently enough water in storage to last five years. So as of January 3rd, you needed 285,000 acre feet to fill all of the Tuolumne storage. Sounds like we made a big dent into that just in the past week. And snowpack, as you just heard, is at 100% of what we would expect on April 1st. So there's no doubt the system's gonna fill. Yeah, the state's gonna be in drought, but the SFPUC has a, a much easier threshold to meet because you have such great water rights. And in an average year, you can capture three times as much water as you need. And so even if this year ends up being average, the system's gonna fill. Now, we were under the assumption, and it was led to believe that following the seven workshops, there would be a real serious discussion about how about SFUC policies and how water is managed. And that hasn't happened, so I want to request it uh, because we have seen this over and over again. The SFUC, if system isn't full, the SFPC hoards water and ends up having to spill it, which will happen this year. Uh, it's terrible for the environment. And there's a real opportunity here. We could restore the Tuolumne without running out of water. We've made that case. It seems to have been ignored. Let's have that conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 5A. Thank you. Heinrich Elmer, Sierra Club Bay Chapter Water Committee. I'm very glad to hear uh, and to see um, the uh, weather changes that have meant that uh, SFPUC's uh, storage system is, is filling up. And as Peter Druckmeyer just said, it, it for sure uh, will fill this year. I think it, it, it really makes it clear that the way in which you manage water shows that you are unwilling to take any significant risk that I might have to shorten my morning shower or that some lawns in the Bosca service area might turn brown, or God forbid that the irrigation districts that take huge amounts of water from the Tuolumne, that they might feel any pressure to reduce the damage that they do. So you're very risk averse with any of those things. But risks to the environment, risks to the biological conditions on the Tuolumne and our native fish populations that depend on that, you're totally willing to take huge risks. And those risks mean that in many years, unnecessarily, 
those fish experience very high mortality, and it's entirely possible that we're going to drive these populations to extinction within our lifetime. I want to ask you, please, balance your willingness to take risk. Take a little bit more risk, reasonable risks for us humans, and reduce the huge risks that you put the fish and the rest of the ecosystem around the Tuolumne River under every year. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, Commissioners, three more callers have joined the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5A. Hi, I'm Tannery Gear, and I'm from Palo Alto, and I just want to, um, this, we're so grateful for this rain, and I'm, I'm glad that the, the staff person said that he wants to be a good member of the community because I think that this is an opportunity to show that, that we are a great, good member of community and supporting our water. I think one thing that we could do is what you guys could do is remove a year from the drought design. That would be very helpful and good will. Also drop the lawsuits against the state water board. And I think that this is an opportunity for us to say, okay, we're in good shape. How can we shape, how can we be good members of a community um, going forward? Um, this is an opportunity and I hope that you all consider those and, and, and also that we do use this opportunity not to start hoarding and then releasing and that we drop the one year, at least drop the one year a year from the drought design. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 5A. Hi, my name's uh, John Rose Pepe, uh, a citizen um, who um, has been all over the, uh, the river uh, over the last 20 years. Um, comment, I want to comment about the water I mean, um, I, I mean, I think it's disingenuous when at the beginning the chair talks about being a steward of the land, and yet over the last year or last year and a half, over the seven workshops, you guys are troglodyte. I mean, being deliberately ignorant about what's being presented to you and staying in the same old way. A uh, community amount of water, I would echo other people as far as taking a year off the drought design. Um, and also about um, withdrawing from the lawsuit. I mean, it's been really disappointing uh, having following all the workshops and having people give information that apparently you don't want to hear, so you're moving the public comment period back. Um, that, that is contra to your beliefs or how you feel things should be run, even though the science says, no, this is not how you can have healthy fish and provide water. I hope somehow, some miracle, you can change your mind as far as withdrawing from the um, lawsuit and also uh, being reasonable as far as taking off the uh, design drought. Uh, thank you for your service, although um, I don't feel your service helps the fish or the public. Thank you for your comments. 
Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5A. Hi, thank you. I'm Lawrence Abbott. I'm a retired wildlife biologist and ecologist, and I'm also asking you not to kill the Tuolumne River. Um, and it's especially it's anadromous fish, but a whole ecosystem. Um, because you hold uh, back too much water, when you do hold back too much water, you, you kill the ecosystem and you're directly wiping out these populations. I yield my time. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, two more callers have joined the queue. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5A. Well, good afternoon. My name is Mary Butterwick. I am here once again to express my deep concern about the poor ecological state of the Tuolumne River due mainly to inadequate flow release. Last year's count of Chinook salmon in the Tuolumne was only 186. This is completely unacceptable. The Commission's update should include the current salmon count on an ongoing basis. I also urge the Commission to drop its lawsuit against the State Water Board's Bay Delta Plan and work with the state to ensure flows in the Tuolumne are consistent with in-stream flow standards adopted in 2018. We have already lost four critical years of progress in establishing sustainable flows in the Tuolumne. Bay Area residents such as myself care deeply about the environment. And we look to the commission to be responsible stewards of the river by increasing flows in the Tuolumne River. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment on item 5A is closed. Item 5B is a Hetch Hetchy Capital Improvement Program quarterly report by Katie Miller. Good afternoon, President Najami and Commissioners. I'm Katie Miller, Director of Water Capital Programs, and today I will cover highlights of the Hetch Hetchy Capital Improvement Program for the first quarter of this fiscal year from July 1st to September 30th. At the beginning of this fiscal year, with the city's adoption of the fiscal year 22 to 23 budgets, the capital programs will now report based on project budgets that were adopted in 2022 as part of the fiscal year 2023 to 2032 10-year CIP. Next slide, please. Oh, sorry, it's me. There we go. There are 17 Hetch Hetch uh, capital improvement projects, all of which continued from the previous year. These pie charts show the program status with nine projects in pre-construction and seven projects in construction or multiple phases. $196 million has been spent to date for about 26% completion overall. 22 million was spent during the quarter, representing significant construction activity on several projects. This table shows a summary of project expenditures and cost forecasts grouped together by funding sources, water, power, or joint. Note that starting this quarter, we added a new column on the right side of the table that shows variance that occurred during the quarter. This is in addition to cumulative variance in the column to its left that we have reported in the past. 
The project budgets are consistent with the forecasted budgets from the last quarter and also with the approved 10-year CIP budgets. There were no new cost variances during the quarter. And now I'll share a few project highlights. The Mountain Tunnel Improvements team made significant progress during the quarter. The excavation and lining were completed at the Priest Adit Tunnel, and the Priest Adit Bulkhead Door, which is shown in the top picture, was successfully installed. The bottom concrete slab for the flow control facility shaft was poured and completed. Excavation and lining work completed for the new bypass tunnels that connect the flow control facility to the original tunnel, and the bifurcation pipelines that are shown in the bottom picture uh, that will carry flow through the flow control valves were installed. Work continued with the contractor this quarter to review critical materials procurement and preparation activities needed for the upcoming winter shutdown when the new flow control facility will be tied into the existing tunnel. And as you learned from Assistant General Manager Ritchie, the Hetch Hetchy system shutdown, originally scheduled to begin January 3rd, has been delayed until at least January 17th, uh, conditions permitting. So far, this has not posed any problems that we're aware of for the contractors working on the Hetchy Capital Improvement Projects. In fact, they, they welcome the extra time to prepare. The two contracts for the Moccasin Powerhouse and Generator Step-Up Transformer Project also made significant progress in design and construction. For the Generator Step-Up Project, the second transformer seen in this photo underwent final factory testing during the quarter and was delivered to the site in October. This will be installed in this winter's shutdown. The generator's rewind contractor was delayed in mobilizing for construction due to significant procurement and staffing challenges. The project team worked with the contractor to better define the risks and identified that the contractor may not be approved to initiate construction for this winter. Indeed, in December, we decided the contractor was not ready, so the first generator rewind will, not, will be delayed one year. This presents additional risk to our Hetch Hetchy operations, but it was decided to be the better choice than to allow the contractor to proceed when not ready. Finally, the draft conceptual engineering report for the remaining powerhouse upgrades was issued during the quarter. For the San Joaquin valve and safe entry project, we made significant progress on the four major construction contracts during the quarter. For the phase 1A contract for improvements to the San Joaquin pipeline number two, the contractor completed submittals and factory tested major valves. Uh, one of them is seen in this uh, photo, a 60 inch diameter valve. This will be installed this winter, we hope. We awarded the construction contract for the phase 1B improvements to San Joaquin pipelines number three and four. And the contract for phase two improvements achieved 95% design. So this whole pro program is project is well underway to full construction. And that's my presentation. I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you. I have uh, Vice President Maxwell. Yes, thank you very much. Um, will we be using the same contractor uh, that, that was not ready for the generator rewind? Uh, yes, it is our intention at this time. Uh, it's, uh, General Electric is the contractor, and they performed well up to this point. Uh, I think they 
just had a lot of procurement challenges. They're acquiring uh, different parts from all over the world. Um, I think more than 10 countries that parts are coming from. And with all the COVID delays, they really struggled. They also had their own staffing challenges. There was a change of the superintendent and a couple of other project staff people also due to the, the COVID challenges. Um, we feel confident that they're getting back on track and we're very, very closely tracking uh, using risk registers. Um, and uh, for the meantime, over the winter, we've had them rent a warehouse uh, near in, in Nadesto where they'll be storing the facilities under controlled environment and we'll be inspecting those regularly. So then will we receive any compensation since uh, it seems that it was uh, on them that we are having a year delay, which means that costs go up? I'm going to bring up Algie Collimore, our, our construction manager. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, better. The discussion on compensation will be taking up. We are drafting a change order to take care of the time, and the compensation for us or to us will be discussed once we've uh, actually realized what the impact is to us. All right. But we, we do recognize that there is going to be an impact since yes, our costs always go up when there's a delay. Absolutely. If, if the project, if they aren't able to complete the project in the original time, then they are soft costs for us, right? Our CM costs, et cetera. So we are making an assessment of those and then we will take that up with the contractor. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Paulson. Um, along the lines of the same questions, um, I was going to ask the same thing that uh, Commissioner Maxwell um, talked about, and that is is that the, the two main reasons that you highlighted were uh, procurement issues, you know, just getting the supplies or whatever is needed, and then also you said COVID challenges in terms of staffing. Um, in other words, there wasn't, quote, unquote, anything extremely negative in the things that are happening that, that you – uh, assessed because you're keeping the same contractor. It really was just logistic type of issues, not any red flags that uh, were really tagged. And if there are, we'd like to know, you know, where that might be for monitoring, just like the change orders or the, you know, penalties for, you know, whatever calendar stuff the construction manager might, you know, be in the exploratory stage of, of assessing right now. Just a comment on, on that question slash observation. Yeah, I very much appreciate your concern, Commissioner Paulson, and that is something that we are concerned about as well and are closely monitoring. Um, it is General Electric Hydropower, and they're very well known. They have a very good reputation. Um, so we do feel confident that they're capable of giving us a very successful project, um, and we're trying to work with them because uh, we think that the best path forward is to work with them and try and get this done next year rather than trying to uh, work with somebody else. So uh, we're gonna be monitoring very closely. We do have risk registers developed that we're keeping a very close eye on. And um, we do have good relationships with their staff uh, and we do have faith that they, they can do a good job for us at this point. Great, thank you very much. And I assume you're gonna, we all can collectively you know, want updates on this um, in your reports as we move forward. 
Thank you. Yes, will do. Thank you. Uh, just a quick comment, and maybe this is uh, my memory lapsing from the previous reports that you have given, uh, but I want to make sure when, you, when we put together the fact sheets that we have in the report, it also has a, we don't end up adjusting our forecast, uh, but actually have a line item on variance, sort of if the forecast used to be $2 million and we asked, we amended it for 2.4, somehow I want to make sure in those bar charts that you have on the fact sheets to capture those variances because sometimes when you are looking at this, you might look, we are doing perfect, uh, but you know, we might, it would, it would be good for us to be able to track those a little bit visually as well. I know we are tracking them on the number wise in the tables you are presenting, but also in the fact sheets. Uh, yes, agreed. Um, we were trying to resolve that with the table five that's in the uh, in the reports now, starting about a year ago, that has the where we thought the project would be the project forecast at significant milestones. So it's not shown as a bar chart; it's shown as dates in time, um, and we've limited the uh, forecast to only be for the approved period. So typically, that's a two-year period because we reset the budgets. So if so you I, want I something that. more, maybe we can talk to you offline and see if there's something more we can get you. Sounds good. And I, I just want to reemphasize, I, the tables are fine. The only, the good, I mean, I, what I'm asking for is in the fact sheets. Because when I'm looking at one item, like for example, right now I have the SJPL valve and safe uh, entry improvement, right? Right now, and this project specifically might not have any variances, but as we move forward, when I'm looking at this fact sheet, I would like to be able to see the changes that has been made somehow on the dollar amount and the time lapses that we have had. Yeah, over a longer period of time than just the budget period? No, even during the budget period. Oh, oh you will definitely amended, see that. Yeah. That you will definitely good. see that within, just like last quarter, there yeah, were variances. So that's why I asked. I'm, I can't remember if yes. the other ones we had them. So if we did, thank you. If not, please make sure you add it. Thank you. Yes. In fact, next quarter, you will probably see quite a few variances because we will be resetting the budgets for what we're presenting to you in February as part of the new budget package. So you're going to see those forecasts go out on quite a few projects. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Um, okay, so any other comments? Not can we have public comment, please? Members, members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 5B, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on 5B? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on 5B is closed. Item 5C is a wastewater enterprise quarterly report, including uh, Southeast Area Major Projects update by Steve Robinson. Thank you. Good afternoon, President Jamie, Commissioners. Um, Stephen Robinson, Assistant General Manager for Infrastructure. Um, I'm still presenting this quarterly report today while we're in the process of hiring uh, a backfilling my, my former position as Director of the Wastewater Capital Programs. Um, this is the quarterly report for wastewater capital programs July through September of 22. We'll also, as usual, share some more very current updates about the three major southeast area major projects. Um, as uh, Director Miller also mentioned, this is the first report that will show these current numbers relative to the, the current budget. 
the photo actually we have here is the Southeast uh, Community Centre. So we'll, we'll talk about that at the very end. So uh, good to see it almost at completion. A few construction updates. Uh, the first project on the left is the Mariposa Dry Weather Pump Station Force Lane project. Um, we're forecasting construction completion in December of 22 at the time of this report. Remember, it's through September of 22. And the project forecast completion is actually June of this year, 23. And during this quarter, then, we did reach substantial completion in August. The pump station was turned over to operations. I was able to go out and visit as we had a little celebration to get that project off and running, which is great. Um, and the contractor continues now to work on those final punch list items so they can work towards completion. The image here actually shows the signage of the pump station name going up in the building, which is always an exciting part. The second project is the Wawona Area Stormwater Improvement Construction uh, is completed, uh, is forecast for completion in March of 24. During this period, sewer pipe installation was completed. The installation of stormwater inlets in Wawona, 14th and 15th, has commenced, and the replacement of the water main is ongoing. The image shows installation of a stormwater inlet on Wawona itself between 14th Avenue and Vicente Streets. And I'd pause to make a point here that this is one of three large stormwater projects in our capital plan. Um, they're the floodwater resilience projects. Um, and although this particular project is not yet finished um, and is able to help with those current storm conditions that we're seeing today and over the last couple of weeks, um, it has helped already because some of those connections have been put in place and there is no report of flooding in that area at the moment. And this project then is the first of those three major projects forecast to be completed in March of next year. The third project is the Westside Pump Station project. Uh, forecast completion in June of 24. The image shows the contractors pouring concrete on the roof of the new electrical building and you can see the ocean in the background. Our usual pie charts show the program status for the 70 projects in phase one of the sewer system improvement program. They now represent $4.4 billion. Uh, as I mentioned, this Q1 report is the first to show the adjusted numbers for the most recent budget process. You can see how we've moved from reporting 3.6 on the left to 4.4. If you recall, that's primarily due to market conditions on the large biosolids and headworks projects that we've been reporting over the last year. Those numbers were captured in that, in that budget process, which we now reflect here. Last quarter, we closed at 52% complete. So this quarter, we now show a closing number of 51%. Not that we're going back in time, but this reflects those increased budgets. The blue area at the top on the right pie chart shows seven projects in pre-construction, that's planning and design. And then the green, we have those 11 projects in construction. We had 12 last quarter. And the gray to the left shows now 52 projects in closeout or already complete. This uh, is table three from the quarterly report. Um, shows the summary of costs for SSIP rolling up both phase one and the other projects that we've since added since phase one. The column, column summarized the expenditures, the budget, the forecast, and of course the cost variance that Director Miller had just explained as well. The budget process allows that realignment to make it easier for us to track those variances over the next budget cycle. Um, you'll see some small positive numbers in the variance column here which actually uh, reflect decreases, which is a good thing at this point. Um, that said, one of the improvements we've made over the last year was to include that information, President Jami, we were talking about there in Table 5, tracking the historical expenditures at the project level. But I hear you, uh, the project fact sheet could be a good place to show that as well. So when looking in isolation at the project, you can tell what's been happening over time. With respect to the facilities and infrastructure program, uh, like SSIP, there's a slight decrease in the forecast cost, also a good thing. 
um, at this point. And then moving on to just a few milestone highlights. This quarter we completed the 35% design on the preliminary treatment health and safety improvement project. That's at the southeast plant, uh, building numbers 40 and 41. Um, and the large sewer condition assessment and improvement project, and that's in the East Soma area. Similarly, in the second bullet, we awarded a construction contract for large sewer condition assessment improvements at Chinatown, North Beach. And in the third bullet, a conceptual engineering report for Seacliff, number two pump station, and a force main upgrade at Geary Underpass pump station as well. So those are, these are all milestones within our process, moving through planning into design and construction that we feel are worth talking about. Uh, the image here actually um, is uh, local artist Nancy Cato at the unveiling of her mural called Jamari's Journey. Um, this is the third installment of temporary art um, at our wall at Southeast Plant alongside the Headworks project on Evans. Um, since the launch of the program in 2020, um, we feature work for local artists for a period of one year through the summer of 2024 while that project is ongoing. So for more current updates on our three Southeast area major projects, uh, starting with biosolids as usual, we reported this significant cost increase back in January, a year ago now, um, and then captured it in that budget process we've been talking about. So again, no change from last quarter. Um, you'll see some bullet updates there. Construction of the digesters are underway. You can see in the image, um, completing concrete mat foundations, and then the pre-treatment building now work has started. Um, I thought it'd be useful to share at this point from an upcoming work perspective. We have 12 trade packages um, with a remaining value of $115 million that are coming. The majority of those, nine of those will happen in this year, um, 2023, um, to the value of $70 million with the remainder of those three packages next year in 2024. So this being a construction management general contractor contract, Quite a lot of the construction work has now been bid out, so we're down to the last uh, $115 million of work to bid out over the next two years. For the Headworks project, um, again, the same forecasted project budget and schedule we showed last quarter, no change, and also captured in the budget. Um, installation of pipe rack, columns, beams, and cross bracing has commenced. Um, continued installation of uh, foul air ducting for the odor work, and then civil structural continues around this facility. Um, and now we're getting to a point where some of the mechanical electrical equipment is going in, and we've talked about um, getting ready for the handover. It takes time to kind of plan that to hand it over into operations. Um, similarly for biosolids, I thought it's useful for upcoming work. There are 14 packages remaining, but they only total $7 million. These are much smaller packages compared to the bulk of work that's gone out. The majority of those would be released by June of this year, um, with the landscaping, the very final component, would be scheduled towards the end of 2023. And then last, but by no means least, um, is the Southeast Community Centre at 1550 Evans. We're very proud. It's been a huge team effort. Um, this is the quarterly report through September, but we'd like to say we reached substantial completion in October. Um, the grand opening was held on October 22nd, and final completion is ultimately scheduled for March of this year. Um, PUC staff, the Wu Yi Learning Centre and Hungry Kitchen Cafe have now moved into the building. The Hungry Kitchen Cafe is opening mid-January, so getting that space active and being used and programmed is very exciting, and then we need to look after it and nurture it as a real asset for the city going forward. So I'll finish there. I'm very happy to take any questions. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. Um, and thank you for your report. Could you remind me again on the um, Southeast Plant uh, new headworks? There's the increase from 619 to 679. Could you remind me again why that is? 
I'll go back to this slide. Yes, we had at the top there an increase uh, of budget from 619 to 679. Um, that change, some of that became through a, a need to relook at the project because costs were going up over the last number of years. We looked at biosolids and headworks extensively as CMGC. We did some value engineering and redesigned components. If you remember, we changed um, the inlet pump station and the odor control. And that effort did save in the longer term, but also required an adjustment. Combine that then with changing market conditions and the cost of work now being bidded as those trade packages are released, ultimately came back with a cost increase for the whole project. Okay, and then uh, the uh, the community center, 114, can you just brief me again on that? Community center was, was a very small increase from 114 to 115. Some of that was a delay um, in, working with PG&E to get energization of power to the facility. So we ended up extending and delaying the grand opening, if you recall, and finishing the project to create some more space to get that electrical connection made, done in a safe way. Um, but that was a very small increase to, to capture some of that delay for, I think, a period of two or three months this summer, last year. Thank you. Excellent. I actually also have a question. Uh, you just mentioned on the Southeast Community Center about uh, maintenance of the place. So um, I'm assuming we do have, or there are some uh, funding either allocated to that or we are using some future uh, funding sources to be able to maintain that place and keep it in good conditions. Yeah, thank you. Yes, um, uh, definitely an asset for the community, for the city as a whole, and something we want to look after. But the same for all of our facilities, I think, across SPUC, as we now establish more facilities like these, especially ones that are public and community-facing, and um, putting the necessary resources and contracts in place are really important. Um, so for this facility, we've had a long time to think very carefully about that. There are a number of contracts being let, both to activate the space and use it, but also maintain and look after it. Um, the, the funding for the capital work, of course, falls under a capital plan, sure. but now we move into an operations funding with the wastewater enterprise. Um, so we're making sure that it's appropriately staffed and funded as we go forward. And something we'll be very carefully watching uh, because we're very proud of the asset and want to look after it. That's fantastic. Now, I, I have a different question going back to the overall, I think, sorry, going back to on this. Um, I think we have still six projects in design and one project in planning. And since I don't have those, um, I did look through the documents, but I was wondering if in any of those there is an opportunity for us, considering the experience we're having right now with, um, with change in the intensity of the rainfalls we are receiving and the challenges with stormwater or flooding, are there any changes that we need to make or we have an opportunity to make at this point for those projects that are not yet in through the process uh, that we can do now to, to help us to be better at you know, dealing with some of these extreme events? Yeah, thank you. I, I, you know, I mentioned the phases of our work and how we like to report here on some of the milestones that we approach. Um, our planning phase is split up into a needs assessment, then alternative analysis and conceptual engineering. Mm -hmm. We then move into design, ultimately bid an award depending on the contract nature, and then ultimately construction, startup commissioning handover. So at any point during the process, of course, we can change direction. 
Um, it's much harder later in the process when you're in construction, so the earlier you can catch something is better. Um, that said, we want to be consistent in our procedures and our processes, but really our criteria when we think about stormwater management, about how we're making collective decisions across the city and how we interface with our other departments. Um, so I think there are definitely some projects that are early on where there's a much bigger question that has surfaced, of course, about how we approach climate change and the changing weather conditions that we now face. Um, the Wastewater Enterprise, in collaboration with others at PUC and other departments around the city, have recently published some work around extreme precipitation, and it opens up a new question about is our current criteria um, and level of service that we address these things appropriate? Um, and so it's, it's a much bigger conversation that we have to not just react to one particular storm, both for drought conditions or what we're doing right now, but think about patterns and long-term sustainability of our work. So, so yes. And then as each project moves through its life cycle, there are periods where we may pause and choose to kind of reevaluate. But it's a much bigger holistic um, decision we'd be making around our levels of service. That's fantastic. So I just want to reemphasize that the ones that are, and that's why I mentioned there, it seems to be six or seven projects mm -hmm. that are still in the phase you mentioned. If there is an opportunity to improve those, to help us to be more resilient to our future flooding events, I think we should definitely sit back and rethink and reimagine how you're doing those just because we want to make sure. And I think this also came up with some of the comments. Um, I know the wastewater enterprise have been trying to embrace green infrastructure and natural infrastructure as part of some of the work that they've been doing. I think we, should, we need to do even more. And if the members of the public want to be part of this process also, um, you know, uh, we have to really see, sit back and see um, what are the opportunities for them to get involved in this process from, um, you know, the remodeling process that people are going through and they're coming to SFPUC for permits. Is there opportunity there to help them to think about um, uh, what they can do to, and I know for city construction, I've seen all the buildings that we have, the new ones, do have a lot of new features that would help us to capture stormwater or treat wastewater. So that's great. But I want to make sure we can expand that to beyond our own footprint. So thank you. And Commissioner Maxwell, please. You know, looking at uh, what's happened um, with this rain, we talk about five-year storms. Well, is that still something that we're looking at on the table, five-year storms, 100-year storms? Because what we've seen um, and what you all are saying that we may see in the future is, is really going to be more than a five-year storm or have a five-year storm more regularly. So with that same um, thinking, how are we, I mean, hopefully we're approaching that differently. Is that part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Our level of service storm is five year, three hour. It equates to about 1.3 inches. And when we've been talking about a much more significant amount of rain here in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, Northern California, and now Southern California in recent weeks, of course, we need to kind of think hard about that. Um, and I, I mentioned the extreme precipitation study. That's a collective working with the academic industry and ourselves and how, what, to try and better understand the science behind that. And um, so that would be a, a precursor, I think, for us to, to look and to have that open question now about how we adjust to what climate change is, both the intensity, but the duration of these storms and the back-to-back -back nature of them when they come and the patterns are changing. So yes, I think the extreme precip work will help set the scene for how we now look at this with a different perspective. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, can we have public comment? Uh, any other comments, colleagues? No. Can we have public comment on this item, please? Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of public comment on item 5C, please press star 3 to raise your hand to speak. 
Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 5C? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller wishing to be recognized. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 5C. Thank you, Peter Dreckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. You saw from the presentation that the wastewater improvement program, sewer system improvement program, is gonna cost billions of dollars. And a lot of that's gonna come from the ratepayers. Uh, they're, they're in for a real shock. We don't measure wastewater. We assume water coming in is gonna go out, minus some irrigation. So what people are going to realize is to bring down their bills, they have to use less water. There's gonna be a real driver. Um, there are fixed costs for both wastewater and for water. And so prices, rates have to go up further to cover those fixed costs. costs. There is um, a formula at one of the workshops that for every 10% increase in rates, uh, there's an expected 2% decrease in water use. So we're gonna see water use probably continue to decline, certainly stay below 200 MGD. And I think there's a coming financial crisis um, maybe on par with the ecosystem crisis. And the solutions to both are very compatible with each other. So I wanna encourage you to really do a deep dive in your budget discussions this year, really understand debt service, really understand what rates are gonna be and how that's gonna drive uh, consumption of water. And perhaps down the road, have a workshop with outside experts uh, outside experts are really key to this. Um, we don't have answers, but we know the right questions to ask, and we'd be happy to participate in that to avert what I really think is going to be a crisis in the future. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 5C is closed. Uh, Madam Secretary, before we get to item uh, uh, 6, I just want to sort of make a couple of comments. Um, as you're aware, commissioners, the series of atmospheric rivers that began on New Year's Eve have uh, posed many challenges to uh, the SFPUC operations and staff. And I think you heard um, Mr. Ritchie talk about uh, the amount of rain we've just had since January 1. We've had um, probably close to nine inches, I think, since um, January 1. So it's been a particularly um, challenging time, but I want to compliment our staff for the way that they have um, responded over the course of the last uh, 10 to 15 days. Uh, the ongoing rain events have impacted all SFPUC uh, enterprises and have triggered several emergency response activations since um, New Year's Eve. Our wastewater enterprise activated their emergency response structure in coordination with uh, the Department of Public Works, uh, mitigating urban flooding by resourcing all avail available assets to ensure maximum functionality of the city's collection system. And I've tried to keep all of you apprised over the course of uh, uh, the last several days about the assets that we had on, out on the street, whether it be the eight to 10 trucks that we out, had out uh, every day cleaning sewers or the four to seven raking crews that we had out um, raking drains. They have all been out there uh, with particular attention paid to efforts to monitor and mitigate flooding in high profile areas where we know we have um, issues, whether it be uh, 17th and Folsom, 
uh, or 15th in Wawona, or uh, Cayuga in the Lower Alamany. And I think it's instructive that you, in addition to those immediate short-term responses that we've had to deploy over the course of um, the last several days, that we pay some attention to the long-term uh, efforts that we're making. You heard Mr. Robinson talk about what is already under construction at 15th and Wawona, which is scheduled for completion, stormwater improvement in March of 2024, which is already paying dividends. If you go and look at, I hope we didn't, he didn't uh, talk specifically about, but I want to call your attention to two items also in your SSIP report. I think it was at page 59, at least in the, in the written version. You'll see that we have uh, already, we have in progress, while not under construction, but certainly in the geotech evaluation stage and the planning stages, uh, our efforts at the lower Alamany and at the 17th and Folsom um, um, stormwater improvement projects to demonstrate our um, commitment to doing not just the short-term response, but the medium to long-term response that we have to do to uh, make sure that we are protecting high-profile uh, areas. So I'd call your attention to that in the SSIP report. But in addition, regionally, our Water Supply and Treatment Division, along with Natural Resources, also activated an emergency response structure to ensure safe operations of res reservoir levels and creek releases, which posed challenges due to the heavy rains. And this structure coordinated closely and regularly with regional offices of emergency services, cities, and other stakeholders to ensure um, uh, awareness and coordinated messaging, all in the interest of public safety. And up at Hetch Hetchy, the staff activated their emergency response structure to maintain critical operations, where they were also challenged by the heavy rain and winds. And all emergency response structures, whether they be on the water side or the wastewater side, were supported and coordinated through uh, the PUC Department Operations Center, who coordinated extensively in staffing and messaging with uh, the San Francisco's broader um, emergency operations center over the course of the last um, uh, week or so. So I want to compliment all of our staff for um, their tremendous effort um, in uh, ensuring um, and dealing with what has really been some unprecedented events over the course of uh, uh, the last week to 10 days. And um, we have been coordinated and uh, I want to really compliment our staff for their tremendous efforts, um, both short in terms of short-term response and um, long-term planning. So that concludes my report. Okay, um, I have Commissioner Paulson and Commissioner Stacey after. Um, thank you, Mr. Herrera. Um, I've noticed both with the alerts that we get that somebody in your staff sends us every time, you know, sewer blows up or power goes out or whatever else, that people have been all over the place and the, those alerts have been very helpful and I know very well by at least monitoring it as this commissioner through even just normal media, the presence of the city and the emergency department and the different departments um, seem to be very obvious and you know it's going to rain and you know people are going to be looking for you know problems no matter what because problems are going to come and just the fact that the city is this prepared is you know makes uh, me proud to be a, a commissioner on, on a technical note um, you know interdepartmental issues um, you know whatever they might be you know um, you know coordination is always really important I think something like the Van Ness project was a clear case of something where if people different departments had, you know, started talking to each other a little bit sooner, we might have had another year or two earlier to get the buses running out there. And that's, 
neither here nor there right this second specifically, but just a quick question. Marina Boulevard, what departments, especially when you start talking about the Embarcadero, the Great Highway, the, the, the rim of the city, and I know we have obviously you know, you know, infrastructure in areas of the Marina Boulevard, just within with two or three sentences, just I don't want to get into this, Dick, but what different departments were affected by that particular red flag that was, you know, on the TV and we saw yeah, extra flooding? Thank you, uh, Commissioner. Uh, that uh, You'll see that we always have coordination between a variety of departments. There you have, in that area, you generally have the PUC, DPW, and Rec and Park. Uh, all involved because there's a significant part of uh, rec park land uh, there along the waterfront, which is a particularly challenging uh, area because it lies so close to uh, the water. But those are probably the three most uh, affected departments. Uh, and Greg, I think I'm speaking right on that. If there's any others that I'm missing, but is those the port, are the three is most. Is the port involved in that at all? Uh, we don't, the port's not involved no, down there. Okay. That's rec and park land. Okay. Got it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Come here, Stacy. I really just want to echo what the general manager has said about staff. Every time I read my status reports, I imagined all the people who are out there in the rain um, dealing with the flooding and all of the other issues. So I just wanted to really send out a big appreciation to the PUC staff and all the city staff who's been out there working on all the emergencies. I've certainly seen it around my neighborhood. I also really appreciate that. Um, this will be a learning experience that will contribute to the Alamany study <clears throat> and the Folsom Street study that's ongoing right now. It's great to hear about the improvement already at Wawona, um, but I, I really just appreciate all the work and the commitment and dedication of city staff and PUC staff. It's been a, it's been a heck of a month, so thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Excellent. I also want to echo all the uh, sentiments my colleagues have um, expressed. I think uh, this has been a difficult time. It's not going to be, hasn't been the first, and it's not going to be the last one. So uh, it's just looking at all the data that Mr. Ritchie was share, were sharing, you can see that the patterns are changing, right? So we might go a few years um, low, but at the end of the day, we see these extreme events, sort of um, unprecedented events, really you know, catching off guard in some senses. So um, I know this is a difficult and, um, and a lot of uh, appreciation for all the staff who have been involved, especially during the New Year's Eve, which, uh, you know, it's a a lot of people want to spend time with their families. I'm sure there are a lot of emergency staff are out there trying to deal with various calls. So grateful for all the hard work that our, that our team is doing. And I actually appreciate all the um, reporting and um, emails that we were receiving because that way we could just um, keep an eye on what's, what was changing and what was happening. And, uh, and also... Uh, for me personally, it was every, every time it rains, I'm just like constantly worried about all the worst things that can happen. So, so that was good to be able to have some information on that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, okay, so do we need public comment on this? Yes. Okay, thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 5D, please press star 3 to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on 5D? See none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue at this time. 
Thank you. Public comment on item 5D is closed. Excellent. Uh, Madam Secretary, could you please read the next item? Next item is item number six, your consent calendar. Colleagues, any uh, comments, concerns, uh, any need to pull any items out of the consent calendar? No. Um, seeing none, um, I think, uh, can we have public comment on this, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 6C, the consent calendar, please press star 3 to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on the consent calendar? See none, Mr. Moderator. Do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller wishing to be recognized. Thank you, caller. This is on the consent calendar. Eileen Bogan, Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf. I don't need items severed from the consent calendar, but I would like to comment on items 6B and 6C. For 6B, the dollar increase is 50%. Also, this is the same contractor for the AWOS pump station number two project, which has a very long list of issues. It's very questionable why this, the PUC is still using this contractor. For item 6C, uh, this is also a dollar increase of 50%. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item six is closed. If there are no more comments or discussions, uh, we can, uh, can I have a motion and a second to approve the items on? So moved. Uh, Madam Secretary, can you please call the roll? President Ajami. Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes. Items pass. pass. Uh, could you please call the next item? Next item is item number seven. Authorize the general manager to execute on behalf of the city and county of San Francisco a first amendment to the agreement with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife to extend the agreement duration by up to 12 months to December 1, 2023 for a total duration of up to 36 months with no change to the agreement amount. Uh, Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. Uh, this is a contract where we're paying the Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, to construct a recirculation system within the fish hatchery at Moccasin so that when we go into shutdowns, we, you know, they, they, they use less water bottom line and so that's to our benefit and so that's why we're paying for this project and it just has an extended time now to complete the project I'd be happy to answer any questions so it's just recirculation is it the same as reusing the water multiple times yeah, basically is that it's, it's basically taking the water out because uh, fish live in water a lot so and it clean it up dirty put it back from in. time to time and clean it up and put it back in as opposed to giving them fresh water because that way again when we have a shutdown, we only have a limited supply of water that's available for any use. And so this you know, benefits us by making sure we can use that for people to drink and things like that. But just a general question I have on this, uh, if you don't mind. Um, it's uh, before when they were not doing it, or since they don't even have a recycling plant yet, right? Um, do they treat their wastewater before they put it in? I'm assuming they have a permit for that, right? It just like crossed my mind that that is uh, something that is. Uh, Actually, I, 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 I 
don't think I'm speaking out of school. I believe the system is just a flow-through system oh, uh, that okay. goes down to Don Pedro. Okay, okay. And goes, so to, the, and goes into the water bank. Okay, as they recycle, then they probably will have some sort of a backwash or something for their system. Yeah, there well. will be a waste stream that comes from that, and so yes, they're responsible for the permit for, for that. The permit. Okay, perfect. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. I guess, um, or is there some research that's been done to make sure that this recycled water is okay for the fish? Um, there are recycled water facilities at other fish hatcheries around. Uh, there's never been a need for one here, but uh, again, as we've talked about the major shutdowns that we're having, uh, we felt it was prudent to make sure that we had this kind of facility there. So other fish hatcheries, uh, for different reasons, different places do have recycling systems. So is this going to be temporary or is No, it this is a permanent uh, it's installation. Be permanent. Okay. Yeah, we probably wouldn't use it except for, you know, particularly when we're uh, in a shutdown period. That would be the primary time of use. There may be other times when they would use it as well. Does this system needs to be maintained during the times it's not being used? And are they going to be responsible for the operation and maintenance of the system? Yes, they will be responsible for the operation and maintenance by, with support from us. Okay, so technical support from us. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, any other comments, colleagues? Um, can we have public comments on this item? Thank you, Mr. Rich. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number seven, Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item seven? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item seven is closed. Thank you. Uh, colleagues, can I have a motion and a second to approve this item? Second. Thank you. President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Item passes. Uh, please read the next item. Thank you. Next item is item eight, award contract number PRO.0264 to Mark Covenero Associates for an amount not to exceed 27800000 and with a duration of five years, subject to Board of Supervisors approval under San Francisco Charter Section 9.118. Slides, please. Good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Shelby Campbell, and I'm the Project Manager for the CDD uh, campus at 2000 Marin. So I'm here today to request your approval to award a professional services contract for design of the new campus to Mark Cavanero Associates in the amount of $27.8 million and for a term of five years. And let me go back. Um, just to point out that CDD stands for the City Distribution Services, um, otherwise known as um, the San Francisco Water Department. So um, CDD, with over 400 employees, is responsible for the infrastructure of the city's water distribution systems for potable, recycled groundwater and auxiliary water supplies. They operate and maintain the city's reservoirs, um, pumps, and over 1,200 miles of water pipelines. They also oversee the city's water meter program and maintain the division's facilities, equipment, and fleet. 
The San Francisco Water Department's yard was located in the south of Market area on Bryant Street following the 1906 earthquake. By 1960, the Bryant Street yard was inadequate. In response, an eight-plus acre property on Newcomb was acquired by the city from the federal government in 1961, and CDD facilities were developed beginning in 1963. The Newcomb Yard has served as the division's corporate yard for over six decades. The facilities on Newcomb have exceeded their useful life, and the plan is to build a new campus a few blocks away on 2000 Marin. Due to the exponential growth of service demands over the decades and challenges with maintaining operations at a facility that has exceeded its useful life, there is an acute need for the design and construction of new headquarters to alleviate overcrowding, address building and code, building code and safety issues, and eliminate inefficiencies and accommodate CDD's current and future operational needs. 2000 Marin is bound by Cesar Chavez on the north, Caltrain's and the freeway on the east, Marin Street on the south, and Evans Avenue on the west. Efforts to move CDD to 2000 Marin began in 2019 when we commenced an extensive programming phase with CDD employees for the new campus. The campus will include an office building, warehouse, shops, storage, and parking. The new campus will be organized around a central spine with a parking garage on the west side and yard area on the east side. The warehouse is located uh, off of the entrance on Marin to limit access of outside vendors and contractors to this portion of the campus. The office building is positioned to have sight lines of the entire campus and pedestrian circulation to the buildings is designed for workforce to cross paths on a daily basis. The RFP for design has been advertised three times. We initially advertised the contract in March of 2021. We re-advertised in September because one of the teams lost a key team member before the evaluation process was completed, leaving only one responsive proposer. The second time we received three proposals, but ended up having only one responsive proposer due to errors on the overhead and profits schedule submittal. Based on this and other issues that I reviewed with you last September, the decision was made to re-advertise a third time. We revised the RFP to address the issues and conducted a robust outreach. We received two proposals, and they were from teams who submitted proposals all three times. But this time, they both made it through the evaluation process. Here are the results of the RFP. The two proposals were MCA and KMD WDA joint venture. Final scores were 931 and 922, respectively. We request your approval to award the professional services contract for design services to Mark Cavanero Associates. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you so much. Uh, one quick comment. Uh, this is more nuance, but um, can we, when you're providing, and this is general, when you have maps of these locations, I would appreciate if they're sort of put into context of a bigger, sort of like more than just four streets that are making a boundary of that location because it's very hard to kind of um, figure out exactly how they're situated compared to other things. Um, colleagues, any comments, questions? I have one quick comment. Um, on the 
two proposers that you mentioned they all three times they proposed was did the pricing changed over time or they just improved their um, their proposal to make sure they meet all the requirements that was that were needed yes we had challenge with the evaluation process and so they were making amendments to um, meet all of our requirements for the proposal process okay okay thank you any other comments no. Thank you so much. Uh, can we have public comment on this item, please? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number eight, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item number eight is closed. Thank you, colleagues. Uh, can I have a motion and a second to approve this item? Second. Madam Secretary, could you please um, call the roll? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Thank you. Uh, item passes. I'm glad to finally have a contractor to move this forward. That's a positive uh, progress for sure. Um, can we have the next, <coughs> next item, please? Next item is item number nine, award sole source contract number PUC0004I in an amount not to exceed 950000 with a duration of 2,920 consecutive calendar days to Otis Elevator Company, which is the only elevator company contractor authorized to maintain and support proprietary components in the elevators at the SFPC headquarters building in accordance with San Francisco Administrative Code Section 6.73A. Good afternoon, Commissioners. I'd be fine, Manager of the Program Administration Bureau. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. If you would like me to speak on the, on the matter, I may, or just answer questions. Would you like some brief comments on the, on the item? Yes. I think that will be very useful. Staff is Thank requesting you. award of the sole source contract, elevator maintenance and repair services contract in the amount of $950,000 and with a duration of eight years to Otis Elevator Company to service the elevators at our headquarter building at 525 Golden Gate Avenue. In 2012, Otis manufactured and installed the headquarter building seven elevators, which are equipped with Otis proprietary components. The current elevator maintenance contract with Otis will expire at the end of February. Otis is the only licensed elevator contractor that can provide legally required maintenance services for their own proprietary elevator components. The state of California requires a valid permit for operation of the elevators and to qualify for a permit, we must have a full maintenance service contract with a contractor that holds a C11 contractor's license. Commissioner Maxwell. Yes, those elevators are real different. Is, is that why it's so because you just press the button and it goes to the floor. I mean, you don't have to, whatever it is. I mean, is that their priority? Is that what's so special about it? it? They are special, and you're absolutely right, Commissioner. So would we do that again? 
That's an excellent question. Um, I would defer to engineers um, on what kind of elevators that we put into our new facilities. To be honest, I'm not sure about the elevators at 1550 Evans or our new CCDD. Yeah. I, I guess my concern is that since it has to be specialized, mm -hmm. that that could pose a problem. And so even though they're really neat, I mean, it's real special, mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy them. But mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how, you know, if that really makes a lot of sense. Over 10, 15, 20, 30 years, does it make sense to do that? I would just say, uh, Commissioner, I, there are times that they drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. But if you go and look at most buildings that are being built now for security purposes, um, uh, that is sort of, you, you're seeing more and more of those uh, happen across the country for new buildings. You put them in so people can't go between floors. You see them in a lot of buildings now. So then it may not, since if there are more people, excuse me, okay. since there are more people using them, then maybe it won't be so special and we'll be able to have more contractors. That's I, I would love that. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> my concern. Contracting for elevator services in the city is challenging at mm -hmm. best. <laughs> Certainly could be. I don't pretend to be an expert on engineering, yeah. but well, that's I, my concern. I what think I would just say is, it, in terms of the the elevators that you see, it's not a novelty that is just there for because it's something new for security purposes to prevent people from going between floors. You're seeing them in more and more buildings. That, that's a very good point. I actually want to say that I have been in build, other buildings in San Francisco that have the same um, kind of elevators. I always wonder, though, people can always use the emergency stairs to go from floor to floor, but probably not 20 floors down. Mm -hmm. um, I have actually, on the same topic, I have a different question. I was wondering if our um, how much our contract amount has changed every time we have renewed this. Is this the first time we are renewing it? So previously, we were able to utilize a as-needed contract with Otis that the Department of Real Estate had, okay. um, but now we are procuring our own. And the amount of the contract is actually 650000 But because we were we wanted a contingency amount for any repairs that went beyond just the yearly maintenance. So that's why we're setting the contract amount for 950000 And over the years that they have been in operations, has there been a lot of maintenance required for them? Do we know? Since 2012, I would say there, well, we were required to have our yearly maintenance. And then, you know, things happened. So we have had to have some replacement of certain components or just some repairs that went beyond the maintenance, and we just want to make sure that we have enough capacity so we don't have to continue to return. Thank you. So let's hope at some point there will be other co some competition in this process uh, by the time we, we renew this. Thank you. Um, can we have any other comments? Oh, uh, Commissioner Paulson, please go ahead. Yeah, just a comment on that. Um, a lot of times in construction, um, you know, folks, you know, want to diversify and get, you know, as many people into the mix as possible so that you can count on, you know, more than one company if you really need to change things, whether or not it's maintenance or new construction. And um, I know that, you know, and whether or not it has to do with, you know, the company isn't, you know, usually at fault if you can't get up a bar escalator, 
any more than um, you know than if you're trying to get into Goldman Sachs and you have to get up to the top floor on on an escalator. And um, I I just know that um, you know without being um, pushing anything that in my many years working in construction, um, um, their you know Otis Elevator Company, which was by the way the first company that ever invented the damn elevator. I mean you, you just see them everywhere from New York to Washington to whatever. I mean they're a reliable product um, just in general. So I feel comfortable even without getting into the nuances that you know the other commissioners are talking about with that company. Um, to uh, get that particular contract because they're as diverse as, as anybody and new technology is, you know, they invented the technology. So, you know, keeping up with it, I think, is sort of, a, is sort of what they, you know, cherish and, and what they have. So I, I believe it's a good choice uh, no matter, you know, whoever else gets up to snuff to, to do this kind of stuff. And, again, like others, I do hope that, you know, like any particular, you know, product or trade that, you know, there's a lot of, Different contractors that we can call on to keep the competitive building um, bidding, you know, at a level that that you know is good for the, the citizens of San Francisco. So, thank you. Fantastic. Uh, can we have public comment, please? Members of the public wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number nine. Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Thank you, caller. This is on item number nine. I'm in Bogan Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf. Having a sole source contract for elevator repair and maintenance service is questionable. That sole source contract is necessary because proprietary components is even more questionable. Why would the PUC specify Proprietor components in the first place, more bad optics. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item nine is closed. Excellent. So, colleagues, if there are no more comments or questions, can I have a motion and a second to approve this item? Move to approve. Second. Second. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can we have a roll call, please? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Excellent. Item passes. Uh, could you please read, read the next item, please? Item number 10, authorize a general manager to execute a memorandum of understanding with the San Francisco Local Agency Formation Commission for an amount not to exceed 800000 and with a duration of three years and five months. Good afternoon, Commission. My name is Mike Himes. I'm the Deputy Assistant General Manager for Power, responsible for the Clean Power SF program. Um, I have uh, some prepared remarks for this item for you. Um, so you have before you a proposed memorandum of understanding between the PUC and the San Francisco Local Agency Formation Commission, or SF-LAFCO, uh, to perform work for Clean Power SF. The MOU would have a duration of three years and five months and a not to exceed amount of $800,000. In 2007, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors requested that the SF-LAFCO monitor the process of implementing Clean Power SF and advise the SFPUC and the Board of Supervisors regarding the development, operation, and management of the CCA program. 
Clean Power SF began serving customers in May 2016 and completed citywide enrollment in 2020. Clean Power SF is now a mature CCA program serving more than 380,000 customer accounts with cleaner power at competitive rates. The SFPUC and SFLAFCO previously maintained a memorandum of understanding that was initiated in 2009 uh, and extended several times before it expired in 2021. SFPUC and SFLAFCO are proposing that our commissions now establish a new MOU between the agencies. The funds will reimburse SFLAFCO for work performed in fiscal year 2022 to 2023 through fiscal year 25-26, using uh, approximately $130,000 still remaining from the original 2009 MOU. These funds would be supplemented by Clean Power SF ratepayer revenues at the rate of approximately $225,000 per year for fiscal year 23-24 through fiscal year 25-26. The term of the MOU uh, could be extended by mutual agreement between the PUC and SFLAFCO. The proposed MOU before you today recognizes the exclusive jurisdiction of the SFPUC over energy services, including CCA, as established by the city charter. It recognizes and financially supports the SFLAFCO role to monitor and advise the SFPUC and the Board of Supervisors on our CCA and to perform tasks that assist in the implementation of the Clean Power SF program, subject to uh, the SFPUC's delegation. It establishes the scope of activities that the PUC is asking SFLAFCO to perform and to assist for Clean Power SF, and it sets the expectation that SFLAFCO staff uh, would meaningfully engage with PUC staff on all matters involved in the expenditure of Clean Power SF funds um, for example, developing scopes of work uh, for professional services RFPs, selection of consultants, and the review of draft work products. With the contribution of Clean Power SF ratepayer funds, uh, SFLAFCO would monitor, continue to monitor the operation of the Clean Power SF program and advise the SFPUC and the Board of Supervisors regarding Clean Power SF and conduct specified studies addressing the opportunities for and barriers to local energy innovations, and recommending policies and actions to support San Francisco's decarbonization goals and other energy-related climate action plan goals that are also related to Clean Power SF's scope of operations. The specific studies that SFLAFCO would prepare under the MOU, and this is in no particular order, um, would be one, identifying opportunities and barriers to battery storage installations across the city, and possibly proposing amendments to local and state codes to support the local installation of battery storage. Two, identifying challenges regarding the decommissioning of natural gas infrastructure in San Francisco. Three, identifying barriers to broader adoption of electric vehicles in San Francisco including the provision of equitable access to charging infrastructure and analyzing possible solutions that may involve uh, various city departments and state agencies. Uh, four, identifying opportunities and barriers to financing Clean Power SF initiatives through green bank models, such as non-depository municipal finance corporations or a public bank. 
um, that might be able to access funding available through the Federal Inflation Reduction Act's Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund. Mouthful there. Um, and lastly, uh, studies of specific emerging clean energy technologies, as would be agreed uh, to by the SFPUC and SFLAFCO. And for example, one idea that we've talked about among several um, would be surveying existing literature about the future use of hydrogen fuel in urban environments. Um, this proposed work would be performed by the SFLAFCO executive officer, other SFLAFCO staff, and professional services consultants. The source of the funds, again, is ratepayer revenues, and the use is personnel salaries and consultant costs. Uh, the studies to be prepared by SFLAFCO may be modified, subject to written approval by both the SFLAFCO executive officer and the AGM for power. Uh, and any written, um, any changes that are made will be uh, communicated with written notification to this commission and to the SFLAFCO commission. At a special meeting on December 9th, the SFLAFCO commission approved the draft MOU attached to this item and authorized its executive officer to finalize uh, the MOU and execute it subject to approval by this commission. Uh, again, the estimated cost of the services proposed in this MOU are not to exceed $800,000. Um, approximately $130,000 will be available upon execution from power enterprise funds that were previously appropriated. Additional ratepayer funds will need to be identified. Um, and we're looking at current year savings in the Clean Power Stuff operating budget uh, to, to source those funds. And we're working now with PUC Finance to do that. In the next biennial budget, staff will recommend appropriations needed under this MOU for the balance of the time. And that concludes my remarks on this. Um, before I open it up to questions, I did want to take a moment to acknowledge Jeremy Pollock, SFLAFCA's executive officer, who's here today, Jeremy. Um, Mr. Pollock's worked with myself and Assistant General Manager Hale in developing this MOU proposal. And we're now available for any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. You know, all the years I, uh, when I was on the board, I never really realized that LAFCO did this kind of work. Um, how many staff do they have? Is it two? I do believe you know? two now. Two staff. Two staff. Okay. All right, thank you. Yeah. So I also have questions about this. I'm a little, <laughs> so I can understand if you're starting something new, we need to make sure we have an oversight that things get settled well enough. Obviously, we are a utility, right? So we sort of know how to run a utility, I'm hoping by now, after all these years. And it just, I'm kind of not sure. How do I put it in the right way? I'm not 100% sure, like, we, I can't. I can't really understand what's the ex, like super value that this brings to us. Why can't we have our own staff do literature review? Why can't we work with some of these academic institutions that are working this kind of re, doing actual research on new governance structure? A lot of things that was listed here are uh, something that you can easily, you know, snap of a finger find online. So. I'm a little bit unsure, I'm convinced. And not, it's not about the $800,000, it's just about the value. 
and also long term, what what are we trying to accomplish here? Right. So, four years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, when do we reach maturity? And means that we don't need anybody else to help us do some of this work. And and I'm saying all this because also, our we as a CCA have been trying to make sure we manage our cost, right, and make sure we put things, everything, we want to be competitive out there. So as we add more things to our list, somehow we have to pay for it, which means that it kind of takes our competitive edge away from us. So. I appreciate that, Commissioner Ajami, those remarks. And um, I think uh, this is a this is a slightly new direction as far as our uh, relationship with LAFCO is concerned. Um, those early years, it was very much focused on launching the program, which we have, have done and completed. Um, there is a new um, group of commissioners at the SF LAFCO. There's also a new executive officer. Um, and that group is very eager and interested in this role that the board um, identified for the SF LAFCO back in 2007. Um, so um, we are stepping into sort of some new territory, but one of the things that we really tried to do here in crafting this MOU was focus on um, topics that, again, this is a collaborative effort that also play to SF LAFCO's strengths um, in convening and looking at sort of multi-agency issues. Um, so that, that the scope that I took the time to walk through uh, reflects the, the consideration that we put into what, what SF LAFCO could contribute uh, to our sort of collective work. Um, but I, I do want to acknowledge that you're absolutely right, that our staff, our utility is very capable of doing this kind of work and has done this work. So. Um then what, what I hear from you is they are eager, they would like to, to, be par to participate in this process, work with us. But I think at the end of the day, we are on the other side of this, right? We need to also think, is this something we really, really need? And is this going to be like, can we use that money and hire, uh, you know, hire someone who can come in and do that work full time for us? Uh, can we actually think a little bit more outside of the box? Again, it's not as much about the money as it is about capacity building. What do we as a utility need? Do we really need to do this? And what's a long-term goal here? And where does this, how does this impact our competitive edge? Okay. Uh, Commissioner, those are all excellent points. And I think that um, what we've seen is since the formation of the LAFCO in 2007, um, there has been obviously a transition. We have um, 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 RCCA up and running, and I think that um, the Board of Supervisors itself and what role it sees for the LAFCO, they're doing some evaluation as well. So I think that we all view this as a transition phase to see how um, uh, the LAFCO can supplement uh, uh, without getting into the, um, the core of what it is that um, the expertise that we have and that we're developing um, in our administration of our CCA. So I think that this is going to be a, 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 a good period to sort of learn what the future of LAFCO is and how we can best uh, provide our CCA customers with everything. So I think that your point is well taken, and this is something that we're going to use the, this period of time to evaluate to see how it all works together and um, 
what our capabilities are and what we might need to, to look to the outside world on and what, and what LAFCO's future is and how it interacts with us and what, what they see their role is going forward. So on, uh, I appreciate that. So how, like, and I know we probably don't have this number, but let's say, yes, I'm not finished, but I will definitely give you, yes, absolutely, I can see that. Um, so I'm wondering, like, if per, per customer, I mean, this is insignificant, but we have to also think, how, how, where is this marginally impacting us, right? Again, I'm constantly thinking about the graphs that you were showing us and our relationship with other power providers here and how we have been trying to keep competitive and keep the costs down and make sure we can operate and maintain to the highest efficiency and have been trying to look at every angle of this to make sure we are a well-established utility. And again, this might not be putting a dent into that process or impacting it significantly, but I think everything that comes through this, uh, this, this effort we are going through, this journey we are going through, we have to look at it from our lens. And I do appreciate, uh, you know, LAFCO's enthusiasm and interest in this, but we as a utility need to look at this from our own point of view and how this is going to impact us and help us or hurt us in the long run. So uh, just, you know, it, this, is a, this is a real concern for me, uh, to be honest with you, and um, just wanted to raise it. Please go ahead. So I know that um, LAFCO's existed, you know, even prior to um, the segue into, into clean power in, in 2007. I mean, every, I think every, if I'm correct, every county or every, you know, ma major facilities all over the state, you know, have, you know, put together their own particular LAFCO's for, for various reasons. And it was sort of, um, hey, what are we going to do with LAFCO now? And a good idea at that time in 2007 was, you know, public power and, and clean energy and, you know, whatever the heck it was that was the uh, political motivation at the time. So, I mean, I agree with, with uh, the president that, you know, that, you know, this is something that, that does need to be explored in the long term. And I'm guessing that this is on the agenda right now because it is the recommendation of PUC staff that there would be a good collaboration, at least during this $800,000 um, of, of studies to, you know, figure out where it is. But I, but I tend to agree that, you know, having an extra, and I love government, don't get me wrong, but, you know, having an extra appendage possibly doing the same thing um, is something that we should be, you know, pretty clear and a little bit more efficient about. We, you know, with, with water and power and, and, and waste, you know, as being, you know, so many things in this one, in this one commission, you know, the more we keep things tight, I think, uh, the more efficient and, and, uh, and, and, and precise moving forward that we ultimately can be. So, um, again, with the recommendation of this, I, I'm not going to raise any objections, but I think those points that the president made are, are very succinct considering the history of what LAFCO um, is in terms of the, and the uniqueness of it as a state agency, so to speak, or, or granted agency in San Francisco. Thanks. I'm sure Stacy. Thank you, President. I really just want to emphasize <clears throat> what the two commissioners have said before me in the general manager's comments. I think LAFCO was formed because we were looking at taking on fairly uh, new and enlarged responsibilities. 
I, I also really want to be cognizant of how we're spending, how we're using ratepayer money. I know this is not a lot of money, but I, I do want to look ahead and see, you know, how we are spending ratepayer money, even when it's not a lot of money. I appreciate the general manager's comments that this is really almost a transition to look ahead and see what role can LAFCO add value. Uh, how can LAFCO add value, and how does it supplement what the PUC already is doing, knows how to do? But I really, I do want to think about <clears throat> how the value is being added and, and, and whether even this small amount is an appropriate use of ratepayer money. I, I think this is at this point, but I just really want to be aware of that in the future because we'll be looking at um, you know, in all three areas, uh, water supply, wastewater, and clean energy, at a lot of responsibilities in the future and costs and ratepayer increases. So I, I do really want to be cognizant of how we're spending even small amounts of money. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell, yeah, go ahead, please. I just want to say, I don't think $800,000 is a small amount of money. I mean, I know we deal with 200 million thousand, 50 hundred thousand, and we think, oh, well, you know, but it, it really is not, I don't think we should just be very cavalier about $800,000. Um, it's not a little bit of money, and I think what I'm hearing from commissioners is that um, this is a little, you know, I mean, we need to really think about this again. I mean, when we come back, um, because you have two staff and, and they're going to help a lot, I assume. This is all they have to do. So, I, I mean, I, I'm going to go with this, but I, I think what you're hearing is not a, a real confident vote. And, and um, you know, I, I'm just saying. Uh, go ahead, uh, please. Commissioners, if there's a hesitancy here, if there's a hesitancy, we can always pull this item and open it up to further discussion. I think it would not be a bad idea at all. I think yeah. it's important to make sure, you know, we we make we make decisions. I mean, again, there's so many different players in place. So we, yeah. Look, we, we we certainly don't want to bring anything yes. forward that there's um, that there's not a comfort level with. So I am, if 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 it if it's your pleasure that we. Uh, pull this item back and have further discussion, we can we can do that. That sounds good. Thank you so much. Um, do we need to have public comment on this now? Okay. I appreciate that. And thanks for coming. I, you know, I appreciate you taking the time and coming here. It's, um, okay. Can we have public comment, please, Madam Secretary? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 10, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Thank you. Well, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number 10. Caller, are you there? Um, I uh, didn't raise my hand. It's probably not been brought down from the previous item. Apologies. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item number 10. 
the commissioners, uh, we should have a hearing, a hearing of the public, chronologically to see how active, proactive and progressive the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission has been. I've been involved with this since the year 1999. LAFCO since the year 2006. When it comes to capacity building, when it comes to standards, we tend to hire consultants. And as one of you commissioners said, like 800,000 is nothing. No, it's taxpayers' money, even if it is 50,000. I'm saying this because clean power projects first started in the Bayview, not by the supervisors, not by the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, but by the advocates. We went to Sacramento. We went to Folsom, and now we have some clowns from LAFCO who are salaried. They want to use 300,000 as their consultants. And that's all I got to say. We need standards. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, one additional caller has joined the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item number 10. Hello, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Hi, uh, yeah, my name is John Rose Pepe. I just wanted to make a comment that was echoed earlier in the commissioner calling that $800,000 is a little amount of money. Um, I feel, to be blunt, that your commissioners are insulated from sort of day-to-day, -day, uh, and that you're all people of power. Um, and uh, I hope you value people's money a little more in the future more than you do, and, and uh, I feel like you don't value people's uh, contributions or comments. Uh, so anyway, that's it. Bye. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, and we do have one caller in room who wishes to provide comment. Commissioners, uh, Jeremy Pollack, Executive Officer for SF LAFCO. Uh, just wanted to, to briefly respond to Chair Ajami's comments and uh, absolutely hear your concerns and all of your concerns about the, uh, the need to, uh, to efficiently use ratepayer funds. And uh, I think we, we designed the, the scope of work for this MOU with, with that in mind. I think uh, if you look at the last maybe five years of LAFCO's work, it was really focused around um, you know, how we should be building out renewable energy projects in San Francisco. And uh, I think uh, we approached this MOU uh, shifting from that and seeing that as really the core function of the PUC. And the, the study topics that we identified here were looking at areas that are um, uh, sort of key challenges that, that need to be addressed in Clean Power SF's future and looking at uh, in areas that are you know, outside of the PUC's core functions that involve multiple departments and a way of uh, that uh, can fit in with LAFCO's studies of municipal services. 
<clears throat> and, uh, and I think one study in particular that I, I would highlight where we have uh, outside expertise to bring in is the, uh, the financing through Green Bank initiatives. Um, LAFCO is currently uh, working on this with uh, the San Francisco Reinvestment Working Group. We have a consultant that's producing a business and governance plan for uh, municipal finance corporation and public banks, uh, including we have uh, a consultant, Gary Stevens, and associates who have uh, founded over 100 banks. And we're working with them and the Department of the Environment on, on ideas for, um, for green banking and uh, submitted, <clears throat> submitted comments to the EPA for the greenhouse gas uh, reduction fund uh, in ways that uh, we can look at, at accessing that fund. So I think we have that project already underway that we're excited to roll in with the PUC and uh, happy to work more with you all in, in developing this, this scope of work. So thank you for your consideration. Okay, do we have any other members present who wish to provide comment? Seeing none, public comment on item number 10 is closed. So I think I appreciate that. Thank you for everybody's public comments. I, two things. One is, I don't think any of my colleagues meant to say that this is not a, that this is not enough. Like this is a very little amount of money. I think it's just everybody's concern to make sure we are spending taxpayers' money uh, wisely and thoughtfully. So that I just want to clear that. You know, we are all making comments as things go. Things sometimes. Um, uh, slip through like in a uh, and may be picked up by members of the public in the wrong way but that's definitely was not the intention so the second thing is I would appreciate if we can um, have some dis additional discussions before yes absolutely being, thank you Commissioners, so much. We'll, we'll, we'll pull this item and thank you thank you so much thank you um, do we need a motion to continue this item or just I move continuance till. Okay. Because it's pulled? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. And then can we have the next item, please, Madam Secretary? Next item is item number 11 public hearing, discussion, and possible action to approve the electric home rate schedule for customers of the San Francisco Public Utility Commission's Clean Power SF Community Choice Aggregation Program. This action constitutes approval action for the project for the purposes of the California Environmental Quality Act pursuant to section 31.04H of the San Francisco Administrative Code. The planning department has determined that this action is exempt from CEQA. If the item is approved, the commission will rely on that determination to make its decision. Good afternoon, President Ajami, commissioners, council, general manager Herrera, happy new year. My name is Yinue Chueya. I also go by Mai, and I'm a principal revenue and rates analyst and financial planning team with business services. Today, I'm here to present the agenda item to approve Clean Power SF electric home rate schedule. We'll start out with the Clean Power SF rates landscape and its rate schedules. Then we'll move into the electric home e-elect rate schedule. And I'll show you how staff have come to arrive at the Clean Power SF e-elect generation rate. 
And then at the tail end, we'll show you a couple examples of bill comparisons with these generation rates for our customers to that of a PG&E customer and conclude with staff recommendation. Starting out with the clean power rates landscape, um, I'd like to bring our attention back to the San Francisco City Charter, which requires that the SFPUC performs a rate study at least every five years by an independent consultant. And the most recently comp uh, completed one was the 2022 power rate study, including that for Clean Power SF, which was its very first rate study since its program inception in 2016. In May of 2022, staff brought to this commission um, fiscal 2223 Clean Power SF cost of service rates, which were approved and adopted. Some key outcomes of the rate study was to one, ensure the financial sustainability of the program by setting its rate to its own cost of providing service to customers instead of following PG&E's multiple rate changes throughout the year. The second key outcome of the rate study was prioritize our customer needs where this rate study gave us an opportunity to look at a comprehensive rate schedule for clean power SF customer usage and profiles. The third key outcome was to design rates in a manner to support the city's climate action goals, of which one is to move toward a cleaner energy. To get some context of Clean Power SF rate schedules, I'd like to walk through the bill and the components of an electricity bill, in this case for our Clean Power SF customers. They receive the power supply, which is the generation services from our um, Clean Power SF program. And they still receive, um, I know on the slide it says distribution services, but those are delivery services that comprise both transmission and distribution from PG&E. Clean Power SF customers still continue to receive their bills from PG&E. What that really translates to is that Clean Power SF suite of rate schedules literally matches PG&E's offerings. The key difference here is that Clean Power SF provides an alternative choice of cleaner energy to its customers. Moving into the electric home, the e-elect rate schedule, in decision 21-11-016, California Public Utilities Commission ordered PG&E to come up with a new electric home rate for residential customers. Thus, the e-elect rate schedule um, was structured in which uh, this is, by the way, an opt-in voluntary rate schedule for customers who have any of the listed qualifying technologies, EV, energy storage, or electric heat pump for water heating and climate control, i.e. your AC slash heater. PG&E opened this ELAC rate schedule with final rates on December 1, 2022. The difference with the other residential rate structures is that this ELAC rate is on, is on the delivery component of the, uh, of the electricity bill. It reduces the volume metric, the variable portion, um, the, variable, the variable rate of the delivery charges and it replaces a portion of that with a flat monthly fee. This supports electrification because customers with these qualifying technologies will be using much more electricity than those who don't have these kind of technology. 
Moving on to the Clean Power SF E-Elect generation rates methodology, I'd like to remind the build component that Clean Power SF provides and controls and sets only the generation component of the electricity bill. So this slide is all centered around generation rates. Uh, we will come back in spring in a few months to this commission and propose Clean Power SF fiscal 23-24 cost of service rates um, for your uh, review. In the meantime, um, we have come up with a methodology to set the interim fiscal 22-23 E-elect rates for Clean Power SF. What we have done is calculated the E-elect ratio of PG&E E-elect rates to its standard E1 rate. Then we take that E-elect time of use ratios and apply that to our own Clean Power SF E1 standard rate and arrive at the Clean Power SF E-elect rates. The next couple of slides will show you some bill comparison of Clean Power SF customers and PG&E customers on this E-elect schedule. Um, the first one has a high usage, uh, which is a profile of an average EV customer. And the next slide will show you a low usage customer, which is an average residential customer usage. And for ELAC customers, that's probably on the lower end of the usage. The left side of the, bill, the, left side of the graph shows you a, a PG&E customer bill, and the right side shows you a clean power SF customer bill. Moving from bottom up, um, the gray block is the delivery charges, which is the service provided by PG&E and charged by PG&E. And it will be the same whether you're on a clean power SF rate or a PG&E rate. The blue is the PCIA and franchise fees are charged also charged to CCA customers. And these are fees charged by PG&E. The only portion that clean power SF controls is the green block on the right-hand side of the bar. And for the, same, for the customer with the same usage and profile, Clean Power SF customers, in this case, will see about a $7 savings, which is about a 3% savings on their total bill. It's a similar, it's a similar message for the next slide for a low, usage, um, a low usage bill, where customers will see about a $3 uh, savings, which translates to about 3% on total savings. And we'll conclude with staff recommendation where we're asking for your approval for this fiscal 22-23 Clean Power SF E-Elect rate schedule as it supports, one, the city's climate action plan to move toward a cleaner, higher renewable content energy. It provides, it continues to provide an alternative power supply choice, power choice to customers who wish to opt into this rate. And lastly, it prevents opt-outs where customers to choose this rate until the next fiscal year, uh, before the next fiscal year. And uh, we also continue to recommend applying these rates to bills of Clean Power SF customers who voluntarily sign up for this since PG&E's offering on December 1st, 2022. The bottom table is showing you the time of use rates for Clean Power SF generation for this E-Elect rate schedule by season. And that concludes this presentation, and um, thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, Commissioner Paulson, do you still have a question, or is this a leftover? Okay. Uh, Commissioner Maxwell, please go ahead. 
Um, thank you very much for your presentation. Net energy metering. Uh, that's, would you, could you explain the difference between the net uh, metering and the other? Yes, yeah, so net energy metering um, rates are a little more complicated. And this um, launch by PG&E excludes the net energy metering customers. Um, they will probably come back with this in the latter year of 2022, mm -hmm. or at least I think that's the estimated timeline right now. I think the question is more on what is net uh, energy metering. Oh, uh, I, I see. Thank you for clarifying that question. <laughs> no worries. Um, I will have to circle back with our Clean Power SF. That is one of the rates. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mike Himes here, so. Mike Himes. Um, uh, Deputy AGM for Power, Clean Power SF. Uh, net metering is the program that customers with rooftop solar um, participate in. And what that does is it tracks the energy produced by the solar system mm -hmm. against the energy that the customer uses from the grid over a 12-month period and nets it out. So it's very complex billing arrangement. And I think that's why those customers are not initially eligible is because this is a another layer of complexity that needs to be sort of worked into that program. Um, but that's what net metering is. All right, and then the volume metric is, they're not looking at the volume amount. Right. Volume metric is, is per kilowatt hour, so mm -hmm. how much you consume. Right. And um, moving from volume metric to a fixed charge or demand-based charge is really, um, uh, a step to ensure that the utility is recovering its, its fixed costs, if that's making sense. So, so um, in this case, uh, on the distribution side, the distribution rate, they're, um, they're reducing the amount that they're recovering by how much a customer uses, and they're moving some of that revenue to be collected through a fixed charge. That doesn't change, regardless, you know, regardless of how much you use, you get that same fixed charge. Is that, that similar is, to decoupling? Yes. yes, that is same as decoupling. Is that, is that, that's yes. what I thought, decoupling, you know, from. Yeah, it is a form of decoupling. decoupling. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Decoupling that's from how much you use. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your revenues are not a function of how much you use. Right. Yeah. Because that, that flat fee is covering. Yes. Their yeah. basic cost. Yes. So this is actually what what I was talking about yeah. on decoupling was mm -hmm. actually started in the energy sector. So, so the idea is how that. do you turn it into for yes. sort of yes. So that's the same thing. So so we are going to be doing that as well. PG yeah. One one clarifying point there um, mm -hmm. is that you can decouple and you can still charge volumetric rates, and you you do that by making adjustments to those rates. So the idea is that your sort of revenue. Your revenue is neutral from how much your sales are. So if you reduce your sales, you have to increase your rates, right? And so those adjustments are then made up, right? Because what you want to do is you want to create the revenue, you want to achieve the revenue goal uh, that your utility needs. Okay, so I thought that was related to the flat fee. So there are just, there are different ways of doing that, but I just wanted to make the point that oh. decoupling isn't necessarily just making, it isn't just uh, moving into a fixed fee. Um, you can decouple and also still use a volumetric component. Yes, so decoupling basically you 
take your fixed cost and uh, you put your volumetric cost on top of it. So you always recover your fixed cost. And then on top of that, you charge people for the volumetric use because there's, there's a cost associated with Very, operation and maintenance yeah. of the system, regardless of how much, you know, depending on how much you're using, but everybody has to pay for the actual infrastructure. Yes. Right. And on the net metering, if you don't mind me to clarify, so when people have solar panels on their roofs, they generate electricity in different times of the day. They actually can put it back in the grid because, for example, you may generate a lot of electricity in the morning, but you don't, you're not at home in the morning. You need to use that electricity in the evening. So there are these partnerships um, that sort of have been put in place over time that allows people to generate electricity, put it back in a grid, then when they need it, their cost is associated for, sort of the, the amount that they generated gets differentiated from what they end up using. Uh, has been a big problem with utility, electric utilities because it, ha it can impact the load management in the infrastructure. So um, there are limits on how much you can actually put in the uh, in the wires, you actually there's a there's a specific amount you can actually um, put to the grid. So, is that correct? I think that that's well said, and and also of course the the costs associated with serving a customer during those times of, of day are changing, right. um, and. The, when solar is generating powers in the middle of the day, and that's also when it's spilling to the grid, it's excess, um, the cost of, of electricity is declining at that time while it's increasing in the evenings. So this, we need, the utilities need to keep up with the changing economics of serving their customers as well with this program. So on this whole, uh, okay, sorry, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, you still have comments. Um, so this program that we're talking about is basically for a, not for the, is it for the a majority of people or just folks who choose a particular program? Any of the customers who have those qualifying technologies. So an EV right. customer, um, the one with the electric storage and also electric heat pump or climate control. Um, this is a voluntary rate schedule. So um, we won't be, PG&E won't be shifting over um, customers. Uh, they will have to call in and sign up for this. Yeah, I just Electric. wanted that to kind of get public again so people don't start calling us and saying, oh, my God, and, you know, freaking out. So it's, it's for a specific group of people, and it's basically voluntary. Correct. Voluntary. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. That's great. Any other questions, comments, colleagues? No. Um, yes, go ahead. If please. I may just want yes. at one point. Yes, yes. Um, I know we've been talking about decoupling, and I just want to point out for this ELAC rate schedule, the volumetric, you know, the distribution of revenue requirement through volumetric char delivery char charges versus a fixed fee, that's all in the delivery component of um, the yes. electric bill. And right. we'll be, you know, right now we're just using this interim um, rate schedule, and we'll be coming back um, analyzing and evaluating more cost of service rates for clean power ESA. Could you say that once more? I'm sorry. The last couple sentences, I missed a couple words. Yeah, I think you need to speak to the microphone. Yeah. It's a little bit difficult to hear you. Thank you so much. Yes, Go I ahead. have my mask on. Thank you. So apologies on that. No worries. Um, what, I, what I was trying to clarify was that um, this interim rate schedule on generation rates, um, 
and when we talk about decoupling, that decoupling, I know we're using the word decoupling, the volumetric charges and the flat fee of this rate structure is only on the delivery component of the electricity bill. Um, for this interim clean power SF generation rates is the methodology that we're applying the ratios of the E, you know, E-elect ratios of PG&E to its E1 um, in, in fiscal 24. For fiscal 24, rates will come back um, with the entire clean power SF generation suite of rates and propose the generation rates based on its cost of service. So, okay. Um, but I, I, Commissioner Max, could, could you kind of... Being um, um, a whiteboard? <laughs> Talk a little bit more about E1 and, you know, because I, I kind of got a little lost in, in, in the equation. So could okay. you kind of clarify that a little bit? Sure. Maybe we can have this slide up then. Yeah, maybe the slide can yes. be up. I mean, it's all, I'm sure it's all me, you know, so if you could just bear with me. Sure. I'd um, I'm happy to explain these rates. Um, so there are multiple rate schedules for residential customers. E1 is a very basic um, standard rate, which is an all-in dollar per kWh, so um, it doesn't have any other components. It's based on what you use. It's just one flat dollar per kWh fee. So what we've done is we took the ratios, so P, um, the e-elect rates of multiple you know, components mm -hmm. on the generation side with time of use, maybe this slide would be more helpful for this. As you can see, there are peak, you know, partial peak and off-peak time of use windows and uh, per season. And what we've done is we've taken calculated um, PG&E's E-Elect generation rates to its flat E1 rate. And so each component has a ratio um, uh, tied to that E1 rate. And we apply those ratios back to the E1 rate, which is also uh, to the Clean Power SF E1 rate, which is a flat dollar KWH. So we use that ratio, multiply it for each time of use um, ratio, and then that's how we have arrived at these rates. Mm -hmm. I hope um, that makes sense. Thank you. It's very helpful. Thank you. Any other comments? No questions? Thank you so much. Uh, can we have public comment on this? <clears throat> Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 11, Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on item 11? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item number 11 is closed. Uh, one, one quick comment I have is I was wondering, is there any way we can anticipate what happens with those customers with solar panels on the roofs, and we can potentially be proactive in that, then we'll get more customers on our pocket rather than being sort of reactive to that. Sorry, I just want to make sure I understand the question. Mike Himes again. Um, is there, can we anticipate so when? So right now, this specific thing that I understand does not apply for customers who have a solar panel, right? Now, I'm wondering, at some point, they would somehow get included in this process, right? So I'm wondering if there is a way we can anticipate that ahead of time and maybe come mm -hmm. up with 
a different way of charging them. So maybe we can capture a few more customers in our uh, you know, service area in this process by providing um, a service that you know, they're not receiving right now. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, think, I think we should, staff should take that back and talk a little bit more sure. about the nuances around applying this rate to net energy metering. Um, the, the reason why I say that is because there are a lot of rates. We have actually quite a few rates that net energy metering customers can use. And um, this particular rate may or may not be all that beneficial for net energy metering. Um, I, th I think I explained earlier that it's complicated to layer in this rate. That might be one reason why pg e hasn't done it yet, but it might also be that given the structure of net energy metering, this, this particular rate won't be that advantageous to a customer who has solar. Yeah, and, and I understand that. I'm just saying we don't need to use this special rates. We can actually come up with another kind of rates oh, sure. that would yes. you know, apply to them. So instead of us waiting for them, for PG&E, to come up with a way of doing this, we can ourselves come up with a way of doing this. So we are ahead of them rather than catching up. Sure. I'm with you. Thank Absolutely. You. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we had public comments. We had, okay. Can I, have a, <laughs> can I have a motion and a second to approve this item? Move to approve. Second. Thank you. Madam Secretary, could you please um, call the roll? President Ajami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacey? Aye. You have five ayes. Thank you. Item passes. Thank you so much. Um, so can we, Madam Secretary, could you please read the next item? Item is item number 12, communications. Information item. I just want to say I really appreciated all the reports that were provided by the staff. Thanks for all your hard work. I very much appreciate this, this item, always very informative and useful, and uh, so just want to express my gratitude. Uh, colleagues, any comments, any questions? Uh, we don't have any comments. Okay, so can we have the next item, please? Next item is item number 13, general public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on matters that are within the Commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Okay, before we go to general public comment, I want to reiterate what I mentioned earlier during the meeting. Uh, I know many people have written letters and uh, we appreciate that. Uh, I know people have called, expressed concerns about uh, this item. Uh, that we changed the order of the business. And I wanted to, again, reiterate that we have many people involved in the process of putting items on the agenda, providing testimonies, making comments. And I think there is, an there is some sort of a fairness in the process of giving priority to people who have take the t taken the time and want to engage in a public comment process for items that are on the agenda. Now. If members of the public have something else that they would like to contribute beyond what's on the agenda, I think it's, uh, we would love to hear that, but I think the priority uh, to them needs to come a little bit later uh, to make sure that we, ha we do the business that's in hand ahead of time and in the right time and make sure uh, we can um, have the public comments, public commenters and testifiers uh, uh, 
to have the due respect to their time and uh, an effort that have been put into engaging with us on those items. Um, with that, I would uh, appreciate if you open public comment. Can, uh, Mr. Moderator, do we have any members of the public present to provide general public comment? See none. Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised to provide general public comment on item number 13? Madam Secretary, there are four callers in the queue. Hello, caller. I have opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 13. Hello? Hello, caller. Are you there? Hello? Hello. We can hear you. Uh, yeah. Caller, you have two minutes. Commissioners, in San Francisco, we San Franciscans treasure our freedom. There's a big difference between freedom and license. Abuse of freedom is license. And that's what, at times, you the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission after. And why is it? It's because y'all are not educated on issues. Chronologically, some of y'all don't know what happened in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, less what happened in 1913 with the RECA Act. I noticed that. You have a commissioner now, she said, oh, 800,000 is nothing. What do you mean nothing? It's taxpayers' money. Even if it is $10, it's taxpayers' money. So, we the people, we advocates, we love San Francisco. And we have every right to make our statements. But we also have every right to be respected. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 13. I'm the Invoking Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, speaking on my own behalf. On January 22nd begins the new lunar year, which is the year of the rabbit. The rabbit is the luckiest of the 12 items in the Chinese zodiac. This year is expected to bring prosperity, hope, and calm. Rabbits are gentler, but they're also agile and cunning. So in 2023, folks should be able to navigate life quickly and thoughtfully while avoiding stressors and dangers. However, for Alice in Wonderland, Alice falls down the hole of the white rabbit, taking her to Wonderland. In this case, falling down the rabbit hole means Alice was entering a strange and absurd alternate reality. By moving general public comment near the end of the agenda, will this bring hope and calm, or will it bring a strange and absurd alternative reality? Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item number 13. Uh, I'm Dave Warner from Palo Alto. Regarding the rules of order and moving public comment to later in the meeting, 
Uh, it is a burden to the public. By moving public comment later, the timing for making public comment is much less certain. I have to block out a large portion, larger portion of time and pay attention to meeting progress to be able to make a public comment. This means I have to invest significantly more effort in order to comment. You mentioned moving public comment follows the precedent of other San Francisco public, public groups, including the Board of Supervisors. But what's the benefit? If it is trading general public comment timing for public comment, comment on specific agenda items, I have done both, and my vote is general public comment should take precedence. Have you surveyed the public on their preference? Please answer these questions. The best I can tell by moving public comment to later allows for staff to better predict when their presentations will be. Is that it? Many water agencies appear to disagree with your view on public comment. You should also benchmark yourself against these other water agencies. I did a quick informal survey of board agendas and did not come across any water agency that had public comment later in the agenda as you call for. Those were Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, Orange County Water District, San Diego County Water Authority, the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, and of course, TID and MID. By the way, the LADWP was the big bad guy in the 20th century. We're now worse than them and yet another measure, public comment. You say this is not a demotion, but it is. Taking more time to be able to make a public comment is a demotion. To mention that somehow the fact that it is only for things not on the agenda makes it less important, the SFPUC is involved in so many topics that are not covered in each agenda. It is important that the SFPUC take this item more seriously. One compromise solution would be to set a time for public comment, say 3 p.m. every meeting. While that would mean interrupting the then current discussion, at least it would be predictable and respectful of the public's time. There's a wealth of data here. Please re revisit this issue. I'll provide a copy of my comments for the record. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 13. Thank you, Peter Druckmeyer to Alamee River Trust. A few years ago, public comment was reduced from two, three minutes to two minutes. It's very difficult to get comments in within two minutes. And now it's even more challenging for the public to comment on items that aren't on the agenda. I didn't realize this change was being made until the item came to you in the meeting on December 13th. I mean, it's not a typical thing for people to look at the revision to the rules of order. And I was shocked. I just quietly slipped in there. And you know, the, the argument was that, well, the Board of Supervisors has public comment later. Well, of the nine counties in the Bay Area, seven have public comment early in the agenda near the beginning. Only Napa and San Francisco have it later. Of the Bay Area Water Agency, all have public comment near the beginning of the meeting. Valley Water, East Bay Mud, Contra Costa Water District, Zone 7, Marin Water, even Bosca. And I was, you know, from the agenda, it looks like this item came from President Ajami, and I know that commissioners work with staff, but I couldn't really imagine that President Ajami would want to make public comment more difficult. So. I followed the Sunshine Ordinance request for the communications leading up to this item, and I was denied based on attorney-client communications. So here's revision to the rules of order. I wanted the background on it, and I was denied. This is the second time in a year I've been denied based on attorney-client communications. 
Uh, the first time, I asked for the data and calculations of how the SFPU came up with rationing numbers um, related to the water quality certification, and I was denied. I took that to the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force. I haven't had my hearing yet. At my pre-hearing, they basically laughed at the SFPU. Sorry, caller, but your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hello, Commissioners. This is Molly Colton speaking on behalf of Sierra Club California, the legislative and regulatory branch of the Sierra Club in California, representing half a million members and supporters statewide, many of whom live and reside in the San Francisco Bay Area. I just wanted to start with a personal note. Um, I was ready and in the queue this morning to comment at the beginning of the meeting today, but now I find myself scrambling. I had to leave one meeting early just so I could comment at this meeting right now. Myself, along with many others, um, a lot of whom are probably not able to comment now, have already been inconvenienced by this decision to move public comment. I'm calling in today to comment on item number nine of the minutes from the last commission meeting, where the commissioners voted to move general public comment from the beginning of meetings to the end. This runs counter to what every other state agency and legislative body typically does which is to allow both convenience given to members of the public to raise concerns about issues they care about, as well as make it easier for the public to engage in decision-making processes. This decision by the SFPC Commission hinders and inconveniences that public process greatly. There are public meetings and with, these are public meetings and with this decision, the SFPC is actively making it harder for people to be involved. Members of the public do not have the luxury of sitting and waiting hours to comment at this meeting, particularly if they are hourly workers. This becomes an environmental justice issue when you limit the public's right to participate in local policy and decision-making. I greatly urge the board to reconsider this decision and revert back to allowing for general public comment at the beginning of public commission meetings. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item number 13. Good afternoon, commissioners. It's John McManus with the Golden State Salmon Association. We have about 1,500 members scattered all throughout the state with many in San Francisco proper. Um, I'm also calling to comment on moving this public comment to later in the meeting. I think Dave Warner perhaps had a, a good compromise idea or you can move it later, uh, but at least you can schedule it. And that would uh, help avoid the environmental justice issue that Molly Colton just pointed out to you. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed actually on behalf of the commission for acting in what certainly looks like an undemocratic fashion. Uh, I think you know that you're all there to represent the public. And uh, you know, I wanna appreciate that in terms of keeping the lights on and keeping the water running, there's a lot of nuts and bolts business that has to be taken care of in these meetings. We, we get that, we appreciate that. But for people who need to appear in front of you on those type of issues, um, seems to me they can afford to get in line and speak their piece at their time. Shutting the whole public out, which de facto is what your new policy will do, it's just not democratic. Um, so I hope you will make some kind of change um, in order to let the public have a say. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, two additional callers have joined the queue. 
Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item number 13. Thank you. My name is Lawrence. Um, I'm the uh, retired uh, biologist and ecologist, and um, I'm also um, sort of horrified about this for all the reasons that you've already heard. Um, you know, as, as a public utility um, uh, committee uh, and as public servants, um, you really would want to hear from the public, right? Um, how else could you serve the public? And you're proposing making it more difficult, more undemocratic, more inequitable for us to be able to comment on, on what is being proposed. And you would think you would want to hear from us first and make it as easy as possible for us to comment, as equitable as possible, as democratic as possible, so that you could hear us when we could, when we can come to, to comment, not sit here for hours and hours. You know, a few of us can do that. I'm retired, I can do that. But most of us cannot do that. And, and you guys know that well. So honestly, shame on you guys. It's really shame on you for considering this. It's, it's beyond uh, the pale, it really is. So please reconsider. I yield my time, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, one additional caller has joined the queue. Hello, caller. Your line is open. You have two minutes to come in on item 13. Great. Thank you so very much for the opportunity to comment. My name is Dr. Elizabeth Doherty. I'm uh, the director of Holy H2O um, and represent about 2,500 people in the Bay Area interested in um, learning more about this particular watershed. Um, I'm just gonna uh, repeat what many have said before this, and that is that particularly in relation to environmental justice, this is really a travesty to have changed the comment period like this. Um, the public who you do serve, and frankly, groups of people like everybody you just heard from are the people you wanna hear from. We're the people who can support, challenge, and inform your work. You do not want to shut us out of these meetings by making it impossible for us to comment like many others. I had to cancel another meeting so that I could be here at the end. I won't be able to do that for other meetings where I have no idea when it might end. And so as a director, I can't hit and wait on the phone through all the other um, uh, orders of business. So I really encourage you to return to the democratic approach of allowing the public to speak at the beginning of the meeting. Thank you. Your comments? Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 13. Um, thank you uh, to the chair. Uh, Alita Dupree, for the record, my pronouns are she and her. Uh, it's the new year. I'm going to talk about some basics here. As I am simply an ordinary user of electricity, I actually have an electric account in my own name. Uh, and uh, 
as I spend my time in San Francisco, I think about how can PUC be a stronger presence in helping to move our city into a clean, renewably powered electric future. Um, I, I do advocate for municipalization of the grid. Uh, when I hear of uh, Muni having trouble getting um, uh, electric service for um, electric buses, uh, things I hear in a Muni meeting, uh, what can we do to help that? And uh, I try to live my values. I've been doing this thing called electric ride share. It's my way that I can uh, ride around in San Francisco, I think I did it once or twice so far, uh, with electricity generated by uh, SFPUC instead of uh, vehicles being filled up at the gas station. And uh, how can we work with the kitchen electrification? To remember those who work in uh, restaurants other places of hospitality who breathe in large amounts of emissions that come from uh, appliances that burn hydrocarbons. Um, I, I ask of you as a commission to help advance these causes uh, because there is equity uh, in decarbonization. So when I come to San Francisco and whether I use Muni or BART or electric rideshare and think about where I go to eat and where to stay, about uh, your mission most of all, to serve the people. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry, caller, but your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to come in on item 13. Hello, this is Mark Gonsalves, and I've been waiting to make a general comment for two hours. My phone's gone dead several times, and I've recharged it. It's very inconvenient the way you've rescheduled it. And I'm also calling about the Tuolumne River and in the earlier discussion about the flows and the water bank, I would like to hear how you could comply with the Bay Delta Water Quality Control Plan. I think you could still comply with that plan and still have all the water needed for the city and the peninsula as you are required to do. Thank you. your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes to comment on item 13. Uh, yes, uh, my name is uh, John Rose of Pepe. Um, I'd like to start off my comments is, uh, I don't feel the commission really cares about the public making comments and things. I think it, we saw this earlier today when um, one of the commissioners talked about $800,000 being too little, and then we saw the chairperson try to cover it up, saying basically it was a flip, and the other person mentioned it three times. Um, the uh, comment period is during the day. This limits the number of people who can comment instead of the evening. As mentioned before, it's gone from three minutes to two minutes. Uh, people are not able to take time off. I mean, it's been great listening about the elevators and everything else, but it's two and a half hours of my time um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel uh, the thing uh, is, the uh, chair has mentioned that, you know, this is all for the good of us, uh, 
but when things go higher, past elected, to see about the decision making, uh, you know, it's attorney client privilege. So you can talk all about how everything is good and, you know, how this is good for the public, how this is good for everything else. But when asked about decision making, it's harder. I feel like this is 1984. I feel they're channeling Donald Trump's start as far as not being honest and unctuous. And, um, yeah, at the other thing, Uh, we have a hard time hearing you. Do you want me to start up? No, no, no. I mean, just at the end. So please um, continue on. Just make sure you're, you're standing one place. Oh, I am. Okay. Yeah, thank so, you. So we're okay. Um, yeah, just real briefly finishing up. Uh, you know, we have three new commissioners. In we heard that part of it. I think you were... Okay, seven workshop um, that's 20 hours. I would be willing to bet my life you haven't gone back and watched those workshops. I'm willing to bet my life you're not going to go and watch those workshops where um, the, uh, where the um, uh, commission and, and the utilities science was debunked. And, uh, and all, you know, all we get is yeah, we agree about the sacred lands. Yes, we agree about salmon, but you do nothing about it. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I think your time has expired. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Okay, thank you. Um, Commissioner Stacy. you wanted to make a comment? I think I will only be reiterating what I said at the last hearing and maybe your comments, uh, Madam President. I want to say emphatically how important public comment is, both on each individual items that are before us for action, as well as general public comment on items that are not on our agenda. <clears throat> I think the big change here for general public comment is that uh, interested people are going to have to watch the hearing a little bit more and the time for public comment will be uh, less predictable for general public comment. But I also think that because general public comment is a bit of an unknown, will we have two or three public commenters? Will we have 15 or 17 public commenters? I also want to be sensitive to all of the people who are waiting to testify on action items on the Commission's calendar and reports that are on the Commission calendar. And so I, I think this change is in a way allowing more public comment on the individual items that are before us for action. Under the Brown Act and the, probably the Sunshine Ordinance, items that are brought up on the general public comment the Commission can't act on it on that day anyway, and so when there are public comments about issues that the Commission would like to hear, we can then schedule it for a future hearing. I'd like to give this new order a try, mostly to make it easier for the public to testify on the individual items that are on our calendar. I understand that <clears throat> I think what the commenters are saying is that it makes it a, more complicated for them to not have a time certain, that sometimes our calendars will go quickly, sometimes 
our calendars will be longer, so it's not as clear when that general public comment will occur. But I also think the public commenters on the individual items have that same problem as well, and I think it's uh, important for the commission to be cognizant of that issue as well. So I'd like to give this a try. Um, I, I hear loud and clear from the correspondence that was sent and from people testifying today that it is going to be more difficult for general, general public commenters to track the hearing and figure out when general public comment will occur. And I think if, if the commission ends up feeling that it's problematic in the long run on both sides of the, of the public comment, both for items on the agenda and for items not on the agenda, then we can revisit our rules of order, and I, I am always open to that. But I, I want to say emphatically how important public comment is, how carefully I read the public correspondence that our secretary sends to us on an ongoing basis, and I, I think there are uh, many ways for the public to make us as commissioners aware of items that aren't on our calendar but should be on our calendar. And I, 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 I'd like to give this a try, and I, I also want to not lose sight of the fairness issue for people that want to comment on items calendared on our agenda, and that's very important to me too. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. You wanted to make a comment? Thank you, Commissioner Stacy. I think what I appreciate is that we can look at this. We can, we can see how it works. I mean, I've never heard anybody on a specific issue complain that it took them a long time to get to the issue. I've never heard anybody complain about that. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's been a certain way for a very, very long time. And it certainly, uh, People don't like a lot of change, and I'm not necessarily sure that we need to change it, but I think, um, according to Commissioner Stacy, I think it's a good idea for us to check this out and see how it works. And if it doesn't work, you certainly have my commitment um, that I will bring it up and, and we can go back to the other, and I'm, I'm feeling and hearing that from the other commissioners as well. Yes, I think uh, I'm not gonna, um, again, reiterate, but I think the matters of equity and democracy and fairness it applies to all parts of our agenda, including individual items that are on the agenda. So uh, we do want to try this, uh, but we hear you, as both of my colleagues mentioned here. Uh, uh, this is not obviously set on stone. Uh, we can always revisit uh, and uh, reevaluate this. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to make sure we think about all, all parts of our agenda and how different people are, getting, are engaging with us in different ways. And, um, and I know people don't like change. Sometimes change is hard. So let's see how this is going to evolve, and then we'll go back to it again. Um, but thanks for, you know, again, we, are, we, are, we would love to hear from you. You are the power behind us. You are the one who help us think and rethink every, you know, uh, position that we take or every agenda that item that we are looking at. And uh, obviously, among five of us, we don't, ha we don't know everything. 
So we do rely on our staff and uh, professional staff and also the public to help us uh, to be accountable and stay on top of issues and pay attention. So, um, so don't take this as a, as a, this uh, interest in public comment because we are extremely interested in public comment and we would like to make sure everybody can involve and engage with us um, in different ways. Um, with that, I think um, we will um, have the next item. We, do you want? Uh, yes, ahead, uh, President, I'd like to make a quick comment um, for an upcoming item. Uh, I would like to recuse okay. myself. Um, uh, one quick second. Okay. Could you please read the next item? Yes, our okay. next item is item number 14, items initiated by commissioners. Discussion only item. Go ahead, please. Okay. I'd like to recuse myself. No, no I'm sorry. This Oops. is item number 14. <laughs> if there are no items initiated by... Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Item number 14. Mm. I got totally sidetracked. Um, hang on to that for one okay. second. Uh, colleagues, any issues, items, topics that you would like to bring to our attention, uh, you would like to discuss? Um, see none. Um, do you need public comment for this? No. No. Okay. Um, and then with that, um, can we have the next item, please? Yes. Next item is uh, item number 15, public comment on a matter to be addressed during closed session. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 17 to be heard during closed session, conference with legal counsel, Andrea Cervantes versus City County of San Francisco et al., San Francisco Superior Court case number CGC-20-586083, filed August 10, 2020, proposed settlement of employment dispute in the amount of 400000 subject to approval by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on our closed session item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller wishing to be... Recognized. Caller, this is on our closed session item. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have a comment for two minutes on item number 15. Thank you. Um, this is Peter Dreckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. Item 17 is conference with the legal counsel. I would, would like to encourage you to use this opportunity to ask about the legality of using blanket denials based on attorney-client communications to deny Sunshine Ordinance requests. I gave a couple examples earlier. Uh, please ask. Mr. Druckmeier, do you have comments on a specific legal. on this specific settlement? No. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Madam Secretary. There are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on items, item number, uh, public comment on closed session item 17 is closed. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Riviere, you were trying to make a statement. Yes, thank you, uh, President Jami. I'd just like to recuse myself um, from this upcoming vote due to a previous professional relationship with one of the defendants. Thank you. This item uh, needs a motion and a second and commission vote. So I would appreciate if I can have a motion and a second um, to take a vote on this item. For recusal. For the recusal, yes. Oh, for the recusal. No, 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 not for a third. This is for recusal. Uh, I move yes. to recuse Commissioner Rivera. 
Can we have a vote? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you are uh, accused from this item. Um, okay, so, colleagues, can I also have a motion and a second to uh, assert the attorney uh, client privilege? So moved. To assert. Second. Second. Can we have a roll call on Pre this? President Jami? Aye. Vice President Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have four ayes. Great. We are moving to closed session. Thank you so much, everyone. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
discussion announced that the Commission recommends um, the Board of Supervisors to approve closed session item 17. Uh, may I actually have a motion and a second um, to whether uh, to disclose the discussions that we had or whether not to disclose the item discussions? Do not disclose. Can I have a vote? A roll call, please. A motion not to disclose. Yes, President motion Ajami. to not disclose. Aye. Vice President Maxwell. Aye. Commissioner Paulson. Aye. Commissioner Stacy. Aye. You have four ayes. Item passes. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Madam Secretary, uh, could you please read the next item? Um, we are finished. We're finished. Yes, fantastic. Okay. I guess we adjourn. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.